Hey everyone, welcome back to Bad Associations Podcast. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Joaquin. Joaquin was baptized at 12, disfellowshipped at 30. We go over a ton of topics, starting with the organization shutting down critical thinking by gaslighting their members, how he was questioning the 1919 storyline as a kid, later on lying on time cards. He explains things in a very humorous way that cracked me up throughout this interview, such as referring to himself as a spiritual orphan or referring to elders as middle managers. It was such a fun chat with him. I hope you enjoy. Can you tell me about the first time you remember questioning the Jehovah's Witness faith? It's weird because they have a way of of like shutting down your your logical think thinking or your your critical thinking uh with like the way they either gaslight you or the way they they just kind of make you feel guilty for thinking these thoughts so i I would always put it in layers where you have this first layer question but you never take it to the second third or fourth step because once you ask yourself a question like you know uh, how could noah's ark fit all the animals (laughs) ever you're gonna have to ask yourself the the next question which is like there's a lot of animals and then evolution and then blah 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 so i never would ask myself the second level question it'll always be like that first level but i remember the first time where i was really like i don't know if i buy this specific thing was the whole teaching of 1919 Mm so you know you're gonna tell me that jesus god are up there and they're looking at all these religions and just because the Catholic religion wasn't strong enough to keep these eight brothers or whatever inside of a jail cell and they had to let them go. That was the answer that came back to them and said, hey, we're the chosen religion. Like <laughs> that seemed very flimsy and very like, you know, how how convenient, very convenient, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is the basis that all this house of cards is on. Mm-hmm. this 1919 moment and then to like justify that with like some three and a half year bs about you know you have to wait three and a half years and then after that uh because of this other prophet like there was just too many connections mm-hmm. that you had to make too many uh, too many jumps mental jumps gymnastics that you had to do <laughs> in order to get there that that was the first time that i was like you know like i'll just keep on here and that'll be answered to me at some point but I how don't long know were I, you in I, by that point oof i must have been in my early 20s when i asked myself that mm-hmm. but i didn't do anything about it i just kind of put that in a in a, in a mental drawer somewhere where of i was course. like okay well you know this is this is uh this is something <laughs> but you know they can't get everything right um, right yeah that's fair so i just kind of put it to like you know they, they will We'll, uh, TBD, we'll TBD <laughs> that. I never asked myself that secondary question. Because once you do that, like, you're putting yourself in a territory of, am I apostate? Am I not studying enough? Yeah. Uh, am I not good enough? Like, all the things that they put into your head that will prevent you from going down that rabbit hole. But I would say that's the first one that was clear to me, um, that I was like, mm, I don't know. But it never made me do something about it. Because they also make you feel in that same moment that you're the only one thinking it. Yes. So if you were to speak up about it, it would be everyone turning against you. A hundred percent. Where it's like, I'm the, 
I'm the only one thinking this. And but then you're like, I can't be the only one thinking this. It's yeah. kind of clear to me. But then you also feel like I can't ask anybody. Mm-mm. You know, like like you only ask that if like you've already been down a rabbit hole with someone like one on one, and then you're like, I want to take a chance. But yeah. even then, sometimes you take a chance, sometimes you don't. Yeah, you have to have come to a point where it's worth the risk of what might yeah. happen by speaking out. And at that point, it wasn't like like you would think you'd be taking a risk, but what risk was I taking? I wasn't thinking about leaving. Mm. So it wasn't like I was taking any risk in my head. I was just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. But I would say that was like the first thing that I could pinpoint of like, eh, I don't know. That's a, that's a stretch. <laughs> Were you born in the truth? Uh, essentially, uh, my mom was, I was three when my mom first started studying. And then we came to the States, uh, originally born in Venezuela. And when we came to the States, she had a neighbor in Venezuela that was a witness and, and started taking my sister to uh, uh, to meetings. And she was Catholic. She was like super Catholic. So she was skeptical about it. But then when she went to the meetings, you know, she was she thought in her head it was going to be like one of those like, you know, where people are like doing exorcisms and mm. speaking in tongues and things like that. And, you know, the witnesses are very bank like. <laughs> you know, like they're all bankers, you know, very clean, very like yeah. organized, very business like. So there's nothing you could pinpoint from the outside in the in the uh, perception that you can say and like connect to. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's over the top. They're very, you know, just pristine in regards to their image. So my mom couldn't like poke holes into it. So by the time we came to the States, um, I guess she found like the local uh, witnesses and that's continued her studies there. And then she got more into it. And um, when she got into it, you know, it was, I was three. So, you know, that's, that's what I was inculcated into. Mm. Yeah. So that's all, you know, did everyone in your family like bit by bit convert in, or was it just your immediate family? That was, it was just my immediate family, my extended family, uh, both in Spain and Venezuela never got into it. They were probably Catholic or just regular. Um, and my dad never got into it either. So it was just Mm. my mom. Um, and then it was me and my, my mom, I mean, me and my sister. Um, and then my younger sister was born years later and her too. So what was that like where you have a parent that wasn't, you, you're you all in the same house, right? It wasn't yes. like a separated house. So what was no, that no, like no. growing up where you guys were um, all on different? So it was, uh, I wouldn't say interesting. You know, you, you, you only know what, what you know. Yeah. Uh, you don't know that there's anything different. And my parents kept whatever issues they may have had. They kept it in closed doors. They never, we mm-hmm. never saw them fight. We never saw them argue. Um, and my dad was that old school kind of worker or, uh, from that generation of like, you know, I bring home, you know, I bring home the money and you do, you know, and I work and the mom does the child rearing. She does the, the discipline. She does everything, the nurturing, all that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, so she was almost everything to us. She was essentially a dual parent. Not Mm -hmm. to say that my dad wasn't an absent parent either, but you know, he, he, um, he wasn't someone that we leaned on that way. I think where we saw the issues was like, so for example, we used to have book study in the house. Oh, right, right. Yep. And, and um, so when we would have the book study, 
my dad would be in the room. So he would be in the room and, you know, we'd have the book study outside in, in the house, in the, the living room. And so that was always kind of weird. You know, sometimes yeah. my dad would come out, sometimes he wouldn't. Um, I remember one time, it was like the World Cup. It was like the 94 World Cup. And like he's watching the game in the room. And, you know, I think like somebody scored and he's like, and he's like, yeah, you know, he's like in the middle of the book study, he's like <laughs> so cheering, awkward. you know, and we're like, oh, <laughs> so, so, you know, there was always that kind of um, uh, dichotomy of like having like us as a family doing all these things uh, spiritually or whatever, you know, activities and going, going to meetings and all, all these things. And my dad was never a part of it. Um, and what did you do just... for ho- uh What did you do for holidays? Um, my dad wasn't really a holiday person, so that was never an issue. That worked out. Uh, yeah, that worked out. It's very convenient. <laughs> yeah, there was never an issue of like, oh, you know, have, we need to have the tree, or like, you know, oh, the kids, uh, you know, are not going to be normal, or any, or any of those things that might happen in those kind of households. So my dad was never really big on that, so it was fine. Like it, that wasn't that was never an issue. Um, he was never someone that that pushed that. I think what um, the bigger issue I think for him was more on the education side, and that probably came later, where it was um, like, oh, you know, he has to go to school or things like that. But it was never an issue. Like for holidays, it was it was never like that back and forth. Uh, so, so it's not like someone that he wanted, it wasn't, uh, I heard that struggle in other families that were like, you know, one parent in one parent, not, yeah. uh, but we never went through those struggles because my dad never pushed that. Was it a concern when you got to the age where higher education is a discussion? Yes, there was a concern with that, but, but I think my mom just kind of followed suit with that. Where it was like, hey, you know, this is basically this is the deal that we have, uh, as in the deal that her and and my dad had. Where it's like, you know, essentially you could do whatever you want to do with the kids with the religion, but he has to go to school. Mm. So, good. So it was known. It was known that I had to go to school. But the problem was, and it was partly me and part. I can't blame this all on the religion, but um, it's definitely a factor that. I went to, I, w- I went to a culinary school because I thought I needed, I couldn't go to like a four-year school or I couldn't do anything like that. I had to do, you know, something quick, something two years, something that, you know, you're kind of one foot in, one foot out where you're trying to better yourself because you feel like you have to, yeah. but you're not really bettering yourself because you're in between two worlds because you have the guilt of, you know, oh, you're giving all of this to to uh to the world or why are you going to school and you're not putting enough time to yada yada you know all of that guilt that kind of goes into it uh but me personally i just wasn't in a position where i liked education at that point and whether that had to do with me or the religion you know it could have been a combination of both um because you're really not pushed or or it's not exciting or encouraged you're not encouraged to go to school you're not encouraged to work on your career. So, you know, you're growing up this way. There's no basis of like, oh, he went to school, he went to school, she went to school. They need this to be one of the pillars of their life. It's more like, 
you know, if you go to school, you know, sure, like we can't do anything about it, but it's not what you should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you become an electrician? Why don't you work with blah, blah, blah? Why don't you get a trade, you know, if you have to go to school? So it's not something that you're looking at as like, damn, this is a part of me that I have to develop. Uh, so being that halfway in, halfway out, I didn't put my best foot forward um, while going to school. Um, and that's, you know, part part of that is on me, but I do realize the religion had a, a big uh, a big part to play in it with like the kind of upbringing that that was. Yeah. You mix that with, with you know, first generation immigrants where it's like, they're, they're doing the best they can and they don't have the full knowledge of the school system um, of like the of the education system and then they don't have people around them that are going to encourage that either or right. tell them hey my kid went to school this is what we did so I think a mixture of all those things um, if I would have done it differently um, I probably had a chance to go to an out of city school Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was like, no, you're not going anywhere outside of Miami. Um, I probably should have taken advantage of the fact that my dad was not a witness and been like, you know, hey, like leaned on him and been like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this because I need to do this. Yeah. But at that point, I didn't have that drive in me or the the desire to go against authority. Yeah. And at that point, that. my mom was like the authority. Uh, so I wasn't going to break that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated like anything else, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that go into that. Uh, but the religion definitely didn't help. Yeah. Uh, cause I, cause I think when you're coming out of, of the religion, you want to blame everything on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? 100%. Like, oh, this is why I'm stuck here. This is why I didn't progress in this. And you know, the further out that you remove yourself from it the more you have to like realize you know what role did i play into this and did my decision play into it and realistically what influence did the religion have into it it can't be 100 percent yeah because that's just not realistic you you know you yourself had a role to play in all of this but i do realize it was a big factor and had it not been in there maybe i still make the same decisions maybe i don't um but I'd like to think that it would have been easier or I would have at least been in a better environment to make a better decision um, in in that sense. Yeah, no, I totally, I couldn't have said that better myself. Did you, how did you, I mean, you were talking about like your higher education and professional future. How did you feel about like your future in the religion when you were in it? Did you, did you have like goals inside the cult of like, did you want to be an elder? Did you want to go to Bethel? That's the thing I didn't. I think I, you know, you you have like these goals that, you know, you're supposed to have, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, be an elder, be Mr. Servant. I think as high as I would have liked to have gone was just been a ministerial servant, maybe. But um, I didn't really have those kind of goals because I think it's not so much that I saw through it, but I felt like the people that were doing it and the person I knew I would have to become in order to be be that, I wasn't willing to become that person. Yeah. Um, because like I was, it, I was never like a huge troublemaker or anything. Um, but you know, I wore, you know, I've always liked metal and rock and stuff. So I always wore black and I always wore band shirts and I probably like towed the line of where <laughs> I could dress 
you know, back when I had hair, you know, I would have like sideburns or something, which is like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, so I was always kind of towing that line. So I feel like my interest never aligned with the interest of a person that would have had to, that would have been an elder. Yeah. And I just never saw, I, ne I definitely never saw Bethel as, a, as something I wanted to do. I was never great at preaching. Like I, I'm horrible at waking up in the mornings. So it's like <laughs> that wasn't good. And my I would I would just try to reach like the national average, right? Just so they don't, <laughs> yeah. so they didn't say anything to right. me. And, and then I would fib, you know, be like, oh, you know, two and a half hours. That's three. That's that's average up. Yeah, right? close enough. <laughs> yeah, close enough, right? And, you know what looks better? And then those fibs became more and more. Like I would average to the closest that's like to the closest <laughs> 10 oh i got two hours that's five right yeah, yeah. um so you know the more you do that the more you see like i know what i would have to put in yeah to, like become those and the kind of person i would probably have to be and not so much seeing it as like oh um i don't want to become that person it's more like i'm just not that guy uh and and i would kind of you know reason with it that way so but it just never came from me like, to be an elder or like you know i thought maybe like you know oh, if i get married i'd probably end up being an elder right yeah maybe. but not like oh i have to do these five things to become an elder um if anything maybe a pioneer maybe like i would try to do the auxiliary thing and sometimes i would get like really happy about it but the amount of fibbing you'd have to do to get those hours yes <laughs> exactly you know and like the amount of energy it would take and how I, I would have to schedule myself and then yeah. on top of that like you know if you're if you're busy just thinking about like how you're gonna like get your proverbial shit together right like mm -hmm. if, if you're busy thinking about that like you know you're just kind of thinking like well you know i gotta do i gotta get this together before i could even think about like becoming an elder becoming a pioneer like yeah. no one's gonna marry me if i can't pay the bills <laughs> right so, but then to pay the bills that means you'd need to work but then you can't really work because you're a full-time pioneer yeah. it's a vicious cycle there's always a cash 22 yeah and it's always a vicious cycle where it's like you're 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 you have to sacrifice something but then there's a difference between sacrifice something you don't need and sacrificing something that like you should have yeah right which is drive which is like uh bettering yourself and you know just having enough money to like live on your own and not having to not having to like rely on getting married to have a dual income yeah i wonder how many joe's witnesses get married uh just basically to have a roommate to split the bills with uh, they, 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 not consciously yeah subconsciously, right, for sure right. like 100 percent uh reason one is probably sex without uh, a doubt that's reason, probably 90 percent yeah. of the reason yeah <laughs> reason two is like well you know I, I i make this much money you know but it's all subconscious it's never conscious like i i don't i don't believe it's conscious i don't believe someone's like i gotta get married to have a roommate unless it's like you know uh that might be a reason for them to push to have it to get it done faster or to really get it done but not the reason you know like if, if if it's like a girl that's young and has overbearing parents you know then they they get a boyfriend and they're like i gotta get out of this house right yeah i think there maybe it might be more conscious but i, I believe it, it's more subconscious 
Yeah, I think it's depends on how deep of a belief you have in it or not. Yeah. And, and if you're, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, you're probably thinking, well, Joe will send me my partner in, in its own time and there's no rush. But I think if you are in a desperate situation, you probably are making a conscientious decision of oh, like, yeah. I just got to get out of here. And if it means marrying some poor person off to, you know, and just getting out of here, so be it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you have someone that's a, a bear, essentially, like if you, if you look back, there's, oh, sorry, a beard. Like, oh yeah yeah a beard, yeah. <laughs> a beard uh, yeah uh i'm sure there's there's tons of beards out there like has like, to be oof, like a ton um and and you know they don't know it either you know because yeah. they're just trying they're just trying their best you know because they're like you know like, you know maybe i'm gay i don't know no oh god i have to pray the gay away whatever mm-hmm. you know and they finally find someone and and it's like you know and then the girl probably knows it subconsciously but you know it's like well you know this is the the guy that likes me you know because you always yeah. have those if you reach 30 you're over the hill like, you know like you're, <laughs> it's over you're, for the, you. you're the crazy one you're the or like something's wrong with you right yes uh so uh i'm sure there's a ton of beards out there that 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 probably goes into it too like you're 30 and you're still living in your parents house and it's mm-hmm. like all right you know and and i still haven't had sex so it's like like, yeah let's go i don't i don't care if you might be gay let's do it <laughs> i think that's so much with like you know people that i know that are in the congregation that still that still haven't been married and i just think i know what they're telling themselves and i know what they're feeling inside and it's just like man i wish i could still like hey the world is really big and if you didn't isolate your your options to something so small you probably would have found someone by now. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But I mean, the options and the hope, I feel, you know, I, I didn't get married until I was 31. I feel like the hope I had at 28, 29, 30, 31 is different because I'm like, well, the world's a big place. Yeah. But you left when you, in your, what, like 20s? Yeah, I left when I was 22. Oh, and okay. Wasn't thinking, but to your point, I dated a guy that was also, um, I dated two different people that were in the truth, but I got serious with one guy and truthfully in my mind, I thought, well, this could be an exit because he, we were, we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing in the organization and even con- con- um, not congregation, um, conversations that we had in private, um, where he had questions about his faith and things like that. I thought, okay, even if I marry this person and in a few years we'd get divorced, let's say hypothetically. Right. I think we'll be okay. I think that he'll be fine because I think he wants out too. And I know I want out. So I thought, okay, I'd marry this person and get a divorce in two years if it means I can get out a a hair quicker. You know, I thought about it. And I think I can't really really remember how old I was. I want to say it was like maybe... 17 or 18 when I was dating him and then I left when I was 22 like long a few years after uh we broke up but I think if I in hindsight I think I still would have like married him at 18 19 if it meant I could get out at 18 19 versus waiting until I was 22 right happily (laughs) it's worth it absolutely yeah but what was your experience like in your congregation and your family with baptism so I got baptized when I was 12 Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Did you um, know what you were doing? Like, truly? I mean, you think you do. But you yeah. Don't. Who knows what they're doing at 12 years old? <laughs> With anything, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I remember I was, you know, 10 or 11. And, and you know, there was some kids. And it, for men, it's 
for boys it's different because you know it's a patriarchal religion so you know uh, women have a glass ceiling you know in, in in a lot of ways but men you know they're looking to boys are looking to like oh you're going to be the next soldier or you know, we have to build you up and then you know also i'm a spiritual orphan because my dad wasn't a witness so <laughs> You know, so then they they say, you know, they don't say it out loud, obviously, or they, you know, but it's subtle. You know, they're always trying to guide you. And it's like, seriously, like, like thinking of it now, it's like, dude, I got a dad at home, bro. Yeah, it's kind of rude. Like, like, get out of here. Get out of here with your guiding me (laughs) or whatever. But, you know, you don't think about that when you're in. You you, In hindsight, you do. Um, So, you know, there's like slight peer pressure where they're like, oh, you know, you could, you know, you could do mics or you could do the sounds. Which thinking back is like that was the carrot. <laughs> well, when you're 12, holding a mic probably yeah. sounds amazing, right? And like doing <laughs> the sound system, oh, Ooh. right? You know, like it's closest you know, to it's, DJ you'll like, ever get. It's not like I'm an audio engineer now. You know? <laughs> right. It's not like I was like you know uh, fixing the uh, bass levels on you know brother so and so whatever, right? You know, but you know that was the carrot, and and they're like, oh, you know, you could do this if you were baptized. You know, have you put thought into that? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they kind of, like, walk you towards that as a kid. And then, you know, it's FOMO. You know, it's total FOMO where you're like, you know, I want to do mics or I want to be where they're at. So you think you're doing it uh, because you know what you're doing, but you really don't read the fine print and they don't read it for you. You know, like they're not telling you, hey, if you do this, just remember if you ever change your mind or if you ever do xyz and we feel like you're you're guilty like you're going to be shunned by everyone yeah that's not maybe you'd pause for a minute and make a different choice yeah exactly exactly so at 12 you know yeah you do it and you feel like you know you feel like yeah i i made this decision even my mom made me wait or whatever i could have done at 11 she's like no you should wait it's like what you should wait till the next assembly like oh wow <laughs> thanks mom right but she doesn't know any she didn't know any better either right, right. uh she thought she was doing good by her son mm-hmm. and and you know i don't blame her for that uh she she thought she was doing the best she could on there and so yeah i was 12 and then once you get baptized you know you're going through now i'm in middle school and the middle school is like peak uh you know uh, peak hormones mm-hmm. so like you know your uh, kids are you know exploring and and kissing and all this stuff and i'm kind of doing that but i'm feeling bad about it right you know uh oh i made out with this girl or whatever and then you you know you, you just you don't explore you you get to like a certain point where you're like oh no you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and everyone else is going school, forward yeah. and you're still back here yeah and then in high school the same thing where like you're you know, I, I never had a girlfriend in high school. And then, like, girls inside of the religion, you know, you fall in love because, you know, you're 14 or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, you're not really in love, but that's what, you know, you think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're not that cookie-cutter guy, you're going to always be seen as, like, the rebel or you're going to be seen as, you know, oh, he gets in trouble or he doesn't, he's not that spiritual. You know, when in reality, yeah. I was just like figuring myself out, you know, like like a typical teenager. Yeah. yeah, I was wearing black all the time. You know, they're like, oh, are you depressed? I'm like, no, I just like to dress like this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and 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 then, you know, your hormones are going crazy. Like, I remember we used to have a neighbor that had a subscription to Playboy. 
and <laughs> you know it's like the 90s so it's, you know it's not like the internet was a thing right so you know i would i would get the the playboy and like you know open it from the plastic and look at it and then put it back or something <laughs> and then my mom caught me one time with oh, it oh no and she thought it was like the music right so we had to go through all my cds and like i knew what i was doing she's like you know we have to go the music is a bad influence so i'm like saying oh throw this one away no that one's okay no that one's good i'll throw that one away and it's like <laughs> it was like a massacre of 98 where it was just like oh my god you know i had to give away like certain cds and stuff and it was like uh and it, it was always this like you know it goes back to like if you weren't a witness like the satanic panic of the 80s right where yes. everything satan's and everything same thing you know it's uh hispanic culture you mix that with a, a religious culture everything has satan in it uh everything's demonic you know um so you know you're going through that and being baptized at 12 i guess the i never not that never but you know the good thing quote unquote of it is that you know you're not you know you're not having sex like in your teenage years right yeah but you know the bad thing about that is that you're also sexually repressed yeah and then you know whether it's masturbation or whether it's you know just exploring and things like that you're not going to get to do that so you're Mm going to stay in this level where like uh, you're putting sex in a pedestal yeah um, and sexual things not even just sex there's sexual things and you don't explore any of it it's always a taboo so then anytime you're with a girl as a guy and i'm sure vice versa as well mm-hmm. it's always it's always an expectation that something's going to happen yeah as opposed to like oh you're a person that's you know like if things happen cool if they don't cool like you're just another human being they've but also if, told us for years that that's what would happen is like yes. oh my god if you're ever alone in a room like it, and it doesn't happen that way in yeah, society so you know you're perpetu- <laughs> you're you know you're essentially perpetuating what they're telling you and you're 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 making it come true yeah um and but you're not doing it on purpose it just ends up like that i i, I liken it to like a, a math equation where it's like you know uh person plus chaperone equals no sex person minus chaperone equals sex so whenever there's no third person your head is automatically going to like oh my god something something's gonna gonna happen happen. (laughs) right and you're always in this perpetual like anxiety about it right where you end up doing things and then it ends up getting weird and 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 um i think getting baptized early like that's how it always kind of felt Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't notice that while you're going through it, right. you know. Um, and then you know, once you graduate high school, then you know, you I started getting like other groups of friends because I was in the Spanish congregation, and then I started hanging out with. And here in Miami, there's like a huge distinction between the Spanish and the English mm-hmm. because there's more Spanish congregations than there are English congregations. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you were in the Spanish. You know, they would see the English as like, oh, you're, if you go to the English, those are the crazy, they, they, they allow everything <laughs> over there. You know, if you're moving to the English, you know, you watch out with them. They're so liberal and they let them go out alone. It's like, come on, like, th- this is like the least liberal religion ever, right? Exactly. So, like, you think that's more liberal? Like, get out of here. So, you know, I let, let me change out. congregations then. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I started hanging out more with the, uh, American brothers and the English congregation brothers and sisters and 
and and you know getting more popularity i guess and uh, within those circles um eventually moving to the english um in uh, when i was six i was 22 so i was 22 right right yeah i was 21 when i moved to the to the english Mm-hmm. So so there was like kind of like a new beginning for me if anything because I was in the Spanish and by then I had already like been reproved once so I was kind of seen as like mm, you trouble. know trouble right because <laughs> I, I was always the guy that they would give like the the last minute talks to somebody left or somebody couldn't give a talk so I would do the number four and mm. you know so I was like the up and comer right and then you know fall from grace you know you mess up. <laughs> And then now you're building back up and i was like oh cool like i'm out of here i'm going to yeah. the english right yeah um and then when i moved to the english um i felt like i was doing it for like my spirituality because it's like oh you know the language of the heart and uh i think in english i'll do better than it would in spanish and, you know you you kind of and I, i felt like i was probably doing that to save my i didn't know that that's what i was doing but you know it in this country like you, uh, the hispanic experience is that you grow up talking spanish but then you know your whole world is english so right you're talking english at work you're talking with your friends all that so the message is not going to hit you the same way uh, as it would with your first language right. so i think what was probably happening is that the message wasn't hitting me as well and i felt like i needed a reset um so i went to the english to kind of like oh i'm doing this for my spirituality sure. to get better in that you know mm-hmm. um and that was probably what what that was but i think getting baptized early had those things that i probably would have to deal with later yeah it starts to snowball yeah it's also just extremely unhealthy like, oh my literally yeah. science wise it's because com- it's completely unhealthy what we've all done with our childhood of suppressing that it's a completely yeah. natural feeling that we go some you know some people decades of just ignoring or making yourself feel shame over it i had to deal with that in my 30s yeah mm-hmm. you know? yeah yeah i feel like i spent like my last like of my my 20s those last like five years or so just like trying to re train my brain on what is natural what's normal what's harmless yeah but you know what is not to be hidden like it's just a completely fine feeling and yeah it's it's sad to think that some people like don't leave until they're 60 70 years old and it's never too late i mean ever but it is sad every single day that you stay it's like another day lost absolutely yeah It, it it really is um so i think like for me it was um that was once i moved there and then i spent uh once i moved to the english like six months after that i got my first like well two big things happened so i got my my first girlfriend at that point but my mom died my mom died oh, like, no. in 06 so it was like i moved from the congregation and then like my mom's health started kind of deteriorating but you know she didn't let us know about that um until it was like kind of too late like you know yeah she she ended up passing away and that was obviously like a yeah you know game changer there and i remember my mom um asking me like randomly like oh if i ever die like would you stay in the religion and i was like yeah of course yeah like, why not you know like, yeah why would you think that 
I think she knew. Yeah. Like what I didn't know at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that like you know this kid is is different from like my other kids. Uh, it was three of us, and my older sister's just you know very follower and like you know just kind of sticking to it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm more of just like just go with the flow, and but I'm also stubborn. So mm-hmm. like you know if something doesn't make sense to me, like you got to make it sense to me. Yeah, and I think maybe she saw that. I don't think she ever expressed that, but I think she she saw that a bit. Uh, um, but then you know I didn't I didn't completely deal with the grief because I got a girlfriend like right after, and I was courting with some girl, and then like got a girlfriend at that point, and then you know you're in this like honeymoon period, so it's like of course. from this huge low to like this big high. Um, and do you deal with it? Yeah, sure, you deal with it. Um, but you don't really do Yeah, it. not in the way that you would if you weren't distracted. And correct. Um, so it's like, um, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're in this place where like, you're, you're not really dealing with your grief. Uh, I ended up dealing with it, but maybe like, uh, I would say... Oof. just little by little right? mm-hmm. um, and not to say that it was healthier now that's just what what ends up happening yeah. when somebody dies you just kind of you just kind of go with the flow and and see what happens yeah um, there really isn't a way a right or wrong way to do it no um, especially because life doesn't stop it doesn't you don't yeah. get a pause you know maybe the wealthy can go off to a retreat you know but like the rest yeah, of us exactly. you know yeah. but life is still going while you're trying to make sense of this loss this hole that you have now yeah so i think there it's like you know there's a bit of a there's a a huge vacuum that's there Mm -hmm. and then my sister was 10 years old also so it's like you know dealing with that did you say 10 years old she was 10 yeah oh my god yeah she was 10 my older sister was going through her own personal stuff with with her with her husband and and also a mother of a one-year-old so it was like it's a lot yeah it was a lot um so i just kind of felt like i was and then my dad was obviously probably dealing with his loss there Mm -hmm. but he was never someone to he was never someone that dealt with his emotions very well either Mm -hmm. so you know you're kind of in this place of like do i do i have to hold it together like um yeah so but yet I didn't have my shit together either career wise or 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 life wise so I'm still kind of navigating through all of this um through all of that and but with with my girlfriend at the time it was my first girlfriend you know it was it was great at the beginning but then you know the trouble started uh coming up because you know you're with someone for 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 like a year and then like you can't express yourself physically with them yeah and it's just all talk all talk all talk you know chaperone chaperone so then you know we would be alone and you know what are you going to do when you're alone you're going to do things so you know you it will whenever we would be alone it would always be for that and that kind of puts you know it puts uh uh the relationship in a different perspective because then you know you start thinking okay when we're alone, we're just doing those things. We're just doing physical things. 
so it's like that's all you that's all we're here for or whatever or like that's all you want uh, or you since you're kind of taught that this is like the special thing when you kind of when when you put yourself out there like that you're expecting more from the other person because i just gave you this really special yeah thing a lot on mine, the line right there's a lot on the line so that but then you're not understanding it as in as in like well that's that's not how i see it or you know like it should be no i never felt bad for me mm-hmm. it never felt bad but i was made to i uh, i always like wondered should why doesn't it feel bad Mm. Right? Like, because I'm being told I should feel bad about it, but I don't feel bad about it. Like, I'm doing it with the person I love. So, yeah. like, why is that bad? So, you know, that caused a lot of friction between us, uh, a lot of fights. Um, she was young, I was young, um, and we just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I think at that point, it, I always felt like, you know, oh, this girl, she's you know she's crazy or like she just you know she's always fighting with me and and all these things now looking back it's you know is she a bad person i don't think so you know i don't know at this point i haven't (laughs) you know been around her anything in over a decade but um it's not all one-sided right you know i'm sure i didn't help you know she was not not like in my personality or whatever but i didn't set boundaries Mm. in that because I didn't know how to didn't know yeah. um, I was mostly like you know loving and like I want you know I'll give you whatever you want um, and then on top of that with the religion you know you're made to feel guilty for doing these things so then as the as the man you're supposed to lead and I'm leading her into you know not doing the right thing so yeah. you know in pers- and you know in perspective with the years looking back it's like okay you know I could have obviously done things differently but um, I also she was going to college I wasn't I didn't have my shit together so I was like what am I going to marry this girl like uh, <laughs> but like I, I can't provide for myself how am I going to provide for her too yeah. so you know it's, it's you know thinking back it's you know with perspective you got to put everything into its place and like what part did I have to play into it and what part does the religion have to play into it what part does the relationship have to play into it but all that to say is that we ended up in a committee Mm. and because we you know we had broken up and then we had gone to like convention and then i something they sent the convention i was like oh shit i gotta talk to the elders but i was yeah. but i <laughs> was think? like yeah but i was like man let me let her realize that on her own because i don't want to tell her that i want her to realize that on her own so she did she's like oh we need to talk i was like okay we need to talk to the elders blah blah, blah. so i go to my committee meeting or no, she goes to her committee meeting, and I can't imagine how shitty that was because it's like you have a girl talking to three dudes, yep, and the three dudes are asking her, you know, where did he touch you? Where did you touch him? Uh, did you orgasm? Did you touch him over the clothes? Did you touch your mother the clothes? How long did you do it? Um, did you feel bad when you were doing it? And when you were touching him, did you feel? It's like. Are you serious? Like a, it's like it's an interrogation of all the semantics. Yeah, of like soft where, porn interrogation. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, where did you touch him? How long did you touch him? Uh, did you orgasm? Did he orgasm? Did you look into each other's eyes? Like you know, you know, it's like too much. Not, it's too much. <laughs> so she came out of it like angry, and I was, and then I went into mine, and I kid you not, it was a six-hour committee meeting. 
Were you guys in the same congregation? So talking yeah. to the same people or different people? I think we had different committees. I'm not sure. Mm. I don't remember. Um, but six hours. So it was four hours of interrogation. Literally had to describe a year and a half of our relationship. Yep. And every time that we had a, a sexual encounter. And then they had me in the car for like an hour. They're like, oh, read this, you know, this psalm or whatever. And it was the worst hour of my life because I was like, what yeah. happened? And then they brought me back for another hour of interrogation. Mm-hmm. And it was during my friend's wedding. So like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> so, the time. I, so I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to go to the ceremony. I could go, I only went to the reception. And um, after six hours, they, they're like, oh, we're going to privately reprove you. And I was like, and when I came out of there, I was like, I told them things I don't think I've told family members or like my best friends. Yeah. I told them things that like very invasive. And I was like, man, like no wonder she felt like that. Yeah. You know? Um, so it was like that was the first time. Um what's it called? That was the first time where I felt like, damn, there's something fishy about this, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, because like this is this just isn't right, you know. Like, there's something about this whole process that's like messed up. Uh, mm-hmm. but I kind of just put that in my back pocket, you know. I was like, okay, you know, it's on me, you know. Uh, but even through that, I remember they asked me this question that was very triggering. It was like. They asked me, you know that you encroached upon her. And I was like, I was like, what do you what do you mean? It's like, you know, you you encroach yourself on her. And I'm like, are you accusing me of what I think you're accusing me of? Sounds like it. And they're like, no, what we're saying is that, you know, they she has a certain view, God has a view of her, and you put yourself in a position where now she doesn't. And I was like, listen, whatever happened in there within us was was consensual and like we both were in there yeah. so if you're accusing me of raping this girl i need you to tell me right now like like yeah. it just threw me out without a doubt yeah like what are you like i want you to be precise with your words right now i want you to be very careful with what you're accusing me of right now because i was like like during the whole process i was very like hey you know, I'm the bad one here, whatever. Yada yada. <laughs> right. When he said that, I was like, you know, let's, let's, let's back the fuck up right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're going you know, too far. <laughs> you're going a little too far there. Like, like if you're trying to tell me something else, like, I need you to be very clear about that. Because if we're going to come out of here and you're accusing me of raping this girl, we're going to have problems. Yeah. Because, like, now we're going into another territory. And, and it was just like this, this audacity. And, thinking back now it's not on them i mean it is on them but they're they're followers they're being told the same lies we are if anything they're being told extra lies Mm -hmm. right uh and they have to be these middle management people that have to follow (laughs) that have to follow that 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 uh shepherd the flock book to the to the the t right so they're doing their job right but it's like sometimes they'll take that extra step i think one of them asked me about like my haircut because I was shaving my head at that point and mm-hmm. I'm like are you serious like oh because I'm because I'm bald that means that like like I want to like you know 
get a blowjob, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, like, where's that correlation? Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry that, you know, my hereditary uh, baldness <laughs> is too, well, I don't know, too uh, new age for you. And, you know, I'm all of a sudden, you know, some sort of deprived pervert or something. Uh, so it's like it just shows how sheltered that they are, that they think that those two things have any correlation. It just shows how much that they're living in a bubble and that they're just basing all of their opinions on a book. Yeah, it's, it's really like, it's just ridiculous. And I think for me, like it, like in hindsight, I always, at first I was very like angry at them, at the elders and I thought it was an elder problem, but mm -hmm. You know, when you look back and you and you see like where where they're getting their books from, and it's not excusing them no. at all, but they're they're told to, they're just they're just followers. They're just they're just the the guys that followed the best. Yeah, they were the guys that followed the best, and they were they ended up up there. And I'm yeah. just I was just never a good follower, so like, <laughs> that's why I didn't end, end up up there. Right, exactly. And you, so you got baptized at 12. What, how old were you when you actually left? I got kicked out at 30. So I got the F at 30. Mm. So um, eight and a half years ago. Goodness. Yeah. So that was, that was committee number four. <laughs> I, I always say I have. For like who's counting. I have, yeah. I have a, a hall of fame bust in the, in the back room. <laughs> you know, like, like when you go to Cannes or something for the NFL Hall of Fame, there's like a bust of me there, like a bronze, you know, uh, uh, like Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, a list of your transgressions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in there, right? You know, all time leader. And, uh, he wouldn't learn. All time leader in fornication uh, or whatever. Yeah. The. The whole process of like getting reinstated, I, I didn't know it personally because I never have tried, um, never will. And so I've only learned it from like talking to people on this podcast of like the writing the letter and oh, having horrible. to put on some sort of show and display. Uh, I don't know if I could do it. Maybe that's why I never tried. Um. So I did. So that time I was... When I got reproved that time, I was 20, I was 24. And then I went into another committee meeting. This one was a little faster. I was 26 and I ended up finally, because I never had sex with my ex, but uh, I, had, I ended up having sex and then I felt bad about it. So I, I talked to the others. That was a little more straightforward. Mm -hmm. So I got public reproved on that one. So I was 26. When I got the F, I got the F at 30. Um, it was it was with a girl that um, uh, we we ended up dating, but like dating like like on the down low. Mm. And was she, was she in the organization or no? She was in, yeah. She was like from one of those like uh, families that you know, like third, fourth generation or whatever. Uh, like the whole uh, family is in, you know, Bethelites and like, you know, having a relationship with Bethel and stuff like that. So it was one of those families. Mm. Um, and she was the one that like, they would kind of keep an eye on because she was like a bit of a troublemaker or something, uh, but not really. She really wasn't, she was a good girl. By their definition. But, yeah, but by their definition, maybe, you know um so but she was young she was nine years younger than me and which is something that like 
you don't realize it while you're in, but it's kind of the norm. Yeah. You know? Because um, the options are limited. The options are limited. And then like I myself probably had some arrested development in some way sure. where it's like, you know, I hadn't progressed to the next level, but I also wasn't like the mind of a 19 year old, but I could get along with someone that was 19 because it's not like my things were, uh, it's not like my life was that of a 28 year old, if anything, because it was kind of like held back in some ways of my progression as a person. There was like a situation that me and her got caught in. We weren't doing anything. We were just alone, like, but we weren't doing anything. I shouldn't have been in that situation, period. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, like, you know, what's a 26-year-old doing hanging out with a 17-year-old, right? Even if she was only, like, a month away from 18, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if I'm an adult and I see that, I'm like, what the fuck, right? Yeah. If anything, you know, if they, if luckily they don't like firearms, because, you know, I'd be like, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? been over for you. (laughs) Right. So I was not, I put myself in a really bad situation. Like, literally nothing happened, but I should not have been in that situation. And so their family was rightfully so very overprotective at that point of her yeah uh once she turns 18 then she like reached out you know she felt bad about things or whatever and i was like holy shit i'm so sorry oh my god like i felt like i felt like shit you know when she was like 19 or something like we started talking again and i was like okay i think we could do this like look if, if your parents want to watch us like 24 7 i'll do it like, <laughs> they'll be you know. doing that either way <laughs> yeah so like if they want to be in a room and i'm there and they're just watching me like a hawk and I'm in handcuffs, like, I'll do it. Like, I like you or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, she wasn't willing to do that. Eventually, like, with a year or two, kind of, like, excelled and, and kind of, like, you know, you know, once you love each other or whatever, you know, you, you know, things started to get physical. And then from that point, you know, we're like, oh, we got to do things right. So there I went to talk to the, we both went to talk to the elders. Mm-hmm. This was like a two-year thing or whatever. And at that point, it was like her first discretion of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or for you it's like but for me it was like <laughs> all right this guy's not getting it yeah so, you know you feel like you know there's that text in the bible about like a blood red sheets are washed like white as snow or whatever mm-hmm. which is saying like even a spot of blood on a on a on a bed sheet if it's white god's gonna clean out that gonna clean that out and make it white again, which is like right. impossible to do I'm going in there with that mentality where it's like, hey, look, I'm going to you. You would have never known I did this mm-hmm. had I not told you. I'm coming to you. I want to make things right. Exactly. And they took that and they said, well, you know, cool. That's all fine and dandy. But you've been here a few times and you're not getting it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that goes completely against what the Bible says. Right? <laughs> like, you literally just told me that text. Like, wait, right. what's going on here? <laughs> And that when they told me like your your disfellowship, it was like I heard nothing after that, and it was just like I was like my world was like dead. I was like, oh my god, like I'm out. Yeah. And the worst thing was, and I don't know how you experienced that moment, but every time you have ever been in a meeting, in a book study, in a service anything anything related to the witnesses whether it's two people or a convention there's always a prayer in and a prayer out in that meeting not nah, on the way out there's a prayer in yeah they tell you you're in this fellowship there's no prayer out and i was like huh what 
What? Huh? What do you? I don't get a prayer. Yeah. What? Where, where's my obligatory prayer? Right. Like <laughs> at the very least, like the least thing, like like you know, like please, pretty, give me some, <laughs> give me some pennies, please. You know, like <laughs> at the very least, give me a penny, right? right? And the penny is like a prayer. I didn't even get a penny, right? <laughs> like if I'm like a if I'm a if I'm a non-house person, right, asking for money, right? right. Uh, I don't even get a penny. And I was like, she was shocked. I was like, oh my God, like, wow. Like, yeah. I am less than nothing right now. And that was a big shocker. That was like, oh, wow, this is not cool. That is, that <laughs> it's is cold. That is cold. That is cold as ice. <laughs> yeah. I knew one of two things were going to happen in that last uh, judicial meeting. I had like several on my way out because it was... I don't know why, but to them it was out of left field. Um, it didn't seem to be out of left field for me, but like all the ones prior, I still, you know, because it's still in the Kingdom Hall, even though it's happening outside of meeting hours, I still would go in there with like meeting attire. And right. that last meeting I went there, I think I was wearing like capris and a t-shirt. And I think, in, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, how dare I? And I think in my mind at that point was, I'm not going to keep doing this. Cause like I said, it was either like the third or fourth time I'd went in there and I felt like I, we had all said what we needed to say. I don't know That's why. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was very much like they were trying to change my mind and I felt like that. And I was starting to feel like, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Cause you got like, kicked out what, for apostasy or. I didn't get kicked out. I went, oh. I went to them and I said, Hey, I, I'm not going to be coming to any more meetings. I just want to let you guys know that I'm choosing to leave. I don't believe in this. I never have. Ah, uh, disassociating. Okay. Yes, but they still just fellowship me. I don't really know why. But, well, I mean, I guess I do know why. I did have a boyfriend at the time. Um, I had been uh, reproved a couple times prior to that. And I wasn't being secretive about the fact that I had that boyfriend. But I, I mainly said it as in, like, this is a small town. You're bound to see me with the guy. I don't want you to think that's why I'm leaving, though. Right, right, right. This is this predates me even knowing this person it's purely coincidence so, but um when i went to that last meeting i was wearing pants and i just kind of didn't give a shit and i think in my mind it was like i'm going in here and either i'm telling them i'm disassociating myself i'm no longer one of those witnesses please leave me alone stop calling me or they're going to say that to me basically and i'll right. never come back here and so i think i so the whole prayer thing they, I think they probably would have still prayed because technically I wasn't disfellowshipped in that meeting. It was after I didn't come back on the the next time they called me that right. they then made the announcement. So I never even knew what my status was oh, or okay. maybe, I don't know, maybe two years after that, that right. a cousin told me, oh yeah, I remember the day they announced you that you were disfellowshipped. And I was like, I'm disfellowshipped? And I was so irritated. I'm still irritated to this day, right. pushing a decade later, because that's not disfellowshipping. That's disassociating. Yeah. Yeah, but they have to play it that way. Um, it's cute. Uh, for their, for their uh, followers to keep, yeah. keep, the, keep the sheep in line. Yeah, and but, which is also very stupid because, I mean, I don't know who to blame here, but my mom or my parents in general, they did this thing where they, there was like a week. I don't know if this happened to you. You tell me there was about a week from when I first had first told them like, Hey, I'm not coming back to, I'm assuming when they actually made the announcement where people in the congregation were still talking to me. Did you have that? that that's an appeal week. 
Oh, duh. That makes sense now in hindsight. I've never put those. So it's not. So it's not really a true appeals process. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's just making sure it was done right. Correct. It's it's essentially like a audit. That's but you good, you have seven days to ask for that, which I never would have, considering I'm the one that called the meeting in the first place and said I'm leaving. But in that that last like week, people in congregation were still calling me, texting me. My family would show up at my apartment and try to change my mind, and um, I just thought. And everybody that reached out to me, to their own demise, I would use that as a perfect opportunity to tell them why I was actually leaving. Eh. So you have to imagine that there's all my, you know, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, my parents, my sisters, you know, everyone local and across the country that I'm related to reaching out to me about it. And each person was told, I don't want to do this. And still it is fellowship. So I think that that announcement was kind of like a waste of their own time because everyone by that point knew that it was a choice. I wasn't caught in anything. But they're following protocol. They, They did. So this association started after Raymond Franz left. Uh, so before, or like the, the, that they treated it the same as this fellowship. So before okay. that, this association was just, okay, you left, cool. Uh, but after that, because it was so like, you know, he wrote Crisis of Conscience. Yeah, he's so loud. Yeah. He was so loud about it. Like, you know, they, well, he wasn't, he was actually not loud about it. I mean, the book is loud. But uh, after that is when they considered this association also like DFE and they won't say that they won't say this association everyone's oh and then they changed that they used to say DF then they started saying I think like in 2000 like in the 2000s early 2000s they changed it to he's no longer he or she is no longer a Jehovah's Witness that's done by design because they want to victim blame they want to yeah they always want to say that they're the ones that are choosing not to be with us yeah and they leave it vague enough that maybe yeah. it'll motivate someone to tell them themselves maybe it'll motivate someone to not fuck up yeah it's, it's all the same it's either you know a, a child molester or someone that you know kissed somebody they're at the same level yep and that's what that's what gets me uh, if i were to st- not still be angry but like if i were to like pinpoint something that i think is completely fucked up where it's like okay so you're you're leaving it so vague Mm -hmm. that and they do and i understand why they do it's control but you know it's kind of like you don't know the why so i could be the worst person you've ever met in your life yep or it could just be hey i I don't think that noah had every animal in the in the art right but they're considered the same yeah and that's that's why we have the the product or the why they have the environment that they have right now where you know a rapist and a murderer can get out of prison repent come back and be welcome and be you know right back into good standing in the congregation nobody in the congregation would know yeah or someone that got disfellowship for smoking and you're like well yeah. did he move congregations because he just moved in general or right. did he move congregations because he raped someone at his last congregation like you have exactly. no idea and they don't communicate that and they treated the exact same like if you if the punishment fit the crime you would have an idea you're like oh okay, i know what he's doing i'm gonna save yeah. my away from that guy same thing for a rape victim like yep you know if they're raped they're also going to have a committee meeting yep and it's like yeah what? well it's because the elders get to decide were you raped or were you or consenting. were you condoning it consenting yeah yeah you know? 
which is who, who are they to say you know right because <laughs> they're such say? professionals they've yeah. had such you know you know long and experienced so training lives. yeah, yeah right. they've had all the training you know the, that, <laughs> that mts really covers that whole, <laughs> that whole thing you know how to how to use a rape kit you know yeah I, I love that. I love that day of, uh, of MTS. Yeah. So you're not going to convince me that sexual assault has never happened at Bethel? Oh, 100% it's happened. Like, it has to. And, and, and I would probably go go on a limb and say that most of the ones that have happened have been within the marriage. Ooh. Because that happens a lot in the Hasidic Jews community. The, in, 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 in the Hasidic yeah, the Hasidic Jew community, I think it's is there that they're the the most kind of like conservative ones, mm-hmm. and there's been there's like a like a huge number of a lot of like you know unreported you know rapes, uh, and they've been spousal, they've they've been domestic. Yeah, because so, what's is what's the percentage wise? Like, are more Bethelites married or unmarried? I don't know. Um, I feel like the yearbook would, will have that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say unmarried mm. yeah because there's a lot of uh i don't know if you've heard the term the npg mm. non non-practicing gay <laughs> Wait. Uh, that's funny yeah. no i've never heard that yeah so that's a that was a commonly used one. Oh, it's an npg yeah. um and which is funny for people to say that that are in because it's like okay so you're you're admitting you're acknowledging yeah. that there are gay people right that it's not a choice right mm. but i because that is an that is a subconscious acknowledgement that it's not a choice you're not yeah. you're saying that it's a choice to act on it which agreed at, you know actions is Correct. a choice but, but a cho- feeling but a, and desire it's like, it's like saying i'm i'm a non-practicing cis male or i'm a non-practicing straight yeah right so but you know they don't they don't connect the two <laughs> i definitely think everyone that i knew in the organization was aware that there were gay people men and women um in the truth because there were certain people that I, f- I distinctly remember like my family members let alone my parents discussing like yeah he's probably probably gonna stay single for the rest of his life and it just kind of being a little bit spoken and a little bit unspoken oh which is yeah like, we we had a ton of that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we had friends like that yeah and it was like everybody knew it and that guy didn't necessarily like say otherwise so not that he should have to though either not that he should have to exactly and and like you know it's, it's just it's uh, what a what a horrible existence yeah you know? like you, you either have to hide that part of you, number one, or you have to negate that part of you and continually think that you're wrong, and that your natural tendencies or your natural wants are wrong. Yeah. And then you can't be your true self. And and that's that's a horrible existence. Like you'll never really have love because then if you do find, number one, it's gonna be hard to find somebody because the homophobia is through the roof. So mm-hmm. like already if you're, you know, more effeminate or like, yeah. you know, uh, like you're, you're, you know, you're going to be, you're not going to be attractive to, to women that, that are looking for masculinity. Right? Yeah. Um, so who are you really going to find? You're going to have to find someone that is either willing to accept it 
is closeted themselves. Is like closeted, a closeted themselves. Partner. Or someone that is just so desperate that to like have sex that they'll have sex with someone that doesn't isn't naturally attracted to them. Mm-hmm. And they're both they're 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 both accepting to be in a in an unhappy marriage. Yeah. Or just a platonic one. Yeah. Or just like, you know, <laughs> yeah, roommates. You know, yeah. Married, married roommates. Yeah. No. It's. I had a friend that sent me. Um, I think it was a TikTok or maybe whatever. It was something, some clip, and it was um, of this guy sharing his story of like he used to be a Mormon, and he used to like share his story on stage. He was married. They had several kids. Blah blah blah, and uh, he. The point of his video was just to say like him and his wife. They both left the Mormon religion. They still co-parent. Um, you know they've embraced his homosexuality it's fantastic props to them but she was basically asking me do jehovah's witnesses do like these like speeches and i said well they do tell the stories at conventions and assemblies and you know and blah 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 like my mom my sister used to do those types of things i said but i've never heard anyone get up on the convention and tell their personal story and say i left the before i came into the truth i was gay and i was they will talk about being an addict they will talk about living on the streets they'll talk about selling their body sometimes but they i've never heard a story about a gay person saying well i came into the organization i turned back to jehovah and now i'm straight well you know that those those uh examples are all curated of course, yeah. Yeah. But, where, so like, but why? Why do you think Jehovah's Witnesses don't share stories of people claiming that they are straight now? Because it would be a lie, I think. Well, all of it's a lie. Yeah, but I stopped gambling. I stopped jerking off. Please forget it. Um. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, it could, it could be true at that moment. Because mm, true. Because you don't know what's gonna happen five years from now, or the year after, or the month after, right? True. So I and there is a like, and and I'll use this example. Um, so I had a friend. We all had a friend in, in the congregation that. He was never like truly in like he was like in and out or whatever um he was one of those that you would say you're not spiritual or whatever right um he got in a relationship with with someone that was in in the religion and then they stopped dating but i think they had done stuff but whatever he starts dating this other girl the girl uh, is a paralegal or works like you know with a lawyer or whatever Mm-hmm. He, uh, they were they were having an argument. I think he grabs her, not like physically or whatever, but just says, "Hey, let's come inside and talk." So she presses charges and and accuses him of kidnapping. Oh. He goes to to court. Whatever he gets probation. Um. But he ends up. Um, I think he sent her flowers or some shit and they caught him through the because it was a there was a um uh what do you call that uh where you can't be like 500 feet oh restraining order a restraining order it was a restraining order he buys her flowers and has it delivered but they catch him like on camera buying those flowers breaks the restraining order he goes to jail oh while he's in jail 
he also gets his fellowship. Of course. Of the, not because of that, but because of like some other thing. He gets his fellowship. <laughs> he's yeah. just piling up yeah. for him, huh? So he's in the dumps. Poor guy. He's in the dumps. Um, he ends up calling his sister, which they don't have a good relationship at that point. And he says, oh, you look for this person. She happens to work with like the wife of this person. And that person ends up going to see him in jail. And they were, you know, to their to their credit, they were, you know, ride or die. You know, they went to visit him in jail and all this stuff. He comes out of jail. He's obviously like he jail's gonna prison is gonna change somebody in some yeah, ways. For sure. What does he have to hang on to? They left him a Bible. So at that point, before he wasn't into it, once he's in there. You see some shit. Yeah. Like, what do you have? What hope do you have? So he started going in. He read the Bible like back and forth. He like, you know, he got way into it. Yeah. Um, I probably would too. Boredom. You right? know? <laughs> Why yeah. not? <laughs> Boredom or just like, you know, you're in the depths. Yeah, desperate. Like, what, what, what got you into this and what's going to get you out of it? Right. Now, you know, there's a correlation there. Because when he comes out, you know, he had a hard time finding jobs or whatever, but he he is determined. And he got himself out of it. He was able when I, I ended up connecting with him because we were both his fellowship. And I remember I saw him at a convention and we started hanging out together. It's only the people you is, talk to. <laughs> yeah. The dude is salt of the earth. The dude is great heart. Love the guy. Um, I remember when he was, you know, when he got back in, he sent me a text. He's like, hey, look, you know. I'm, uh, I got I got reinstated, this and that, whatever. I hope you come back. I'm like, cool, man. I'm really happy for you. I was so mentally in at that point. Um, this dude, when he came back, he came back hard. And he came back fully in. And, and in some ways, he feels that that's what kept him from insanity, being in jail. Like, and, and there's some and truth I, to that. And there's some truth to that. And I totally get that. Um, and I totally understand it. Um, that works for him yeah. and he's totally in I think he was I think he got married whatever like I'm super happy for him right um, that is an example that they would take that and they'll be like we need that guy on stage without a doubt without a doubt because it's like yo, you'd hear that story right. over and over right right <laughs> now I believe knowing him that if his story were, man, porn was my biggest problem and now I haven't <laughs> masturbated in 10 years, I would believe him. I'd be like, shit, I know that guy. He's telling the truth. Right. Okay. Uh, so are there people like that that they put up there that the, the sh- stories they're telling are true? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I believe that. Now, there's some that aren't because I remember, like, I had, you know, the girl, the girl that I was dating uh, on the low, she was up there, you know, giving a... You know, like giving her example, but like the week before we were like, you know, doing some shit, right? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> exactly. okay, you know, there's a little bit of both, right? Right. You know? uh, but, you know, it's, it, there, I'm sure there are people like that, that are, that that really gets to them. And what I've realized being out now eight years where it's like, you know, there's people that need that. And yeah. there's people that thrive in that and that gives them hope. And I always say like, 
you know, woke isn't for everybody. It just mm-hmm. isn't. Like, there's certain people that need to have something to look forward to, or when they are at their worst, that is what they, that is what they hung on to. Yeah. And it's really hard to let that go. And I liken that to, I don't know if you've seen on HBO, they have, they just finished the second season. I think they're done with it. Uh, the Vow. So, so it's on my list of things to watch. I have not seen it. You have to watch it, especially the second season, because they go through Nexium and they, and they talk to like people that were in and they did so many recordings. And the first season goes into like how Keith Raniere started it and how he he set up the whole thing. It's a cult, right? Yeah. But the second season, there's like these moments that are, that they talk and was like, there was one of the episodes that was like even triggering for me where I was watching mm-hmm. it and I was like, holy shit. Like yeah. there's there was a moment that Keith Raniere is in, is in jail. I mean, he's in trial, he's in trial. And one of the witnesses comes up and he says, I went up there and it was really hard for me to go up there, but I went up there and as I was looking at him, he was looking back at me with this, with this face of like, I forgive you and you know, I know what you're doing and I forgive you for that. And in the back of my head, I was, even with all the shit this guy has done, in the back of my head, I was thinking, maybe he's right. Mm. And it's like, when he said that, I was like, like, yeah, yes, because you are not thinking about that consciously. You're thinking about that subconsciously. And like every time, there was a period of time I would watch like, you know, you know top apostate videos and things like that. Mm-hmm. And in the back of my head, I'm almost hoping this is the video that's going to tell me that actually they're not a cult. <laughs> they're actually pretty good. Like, this is the one. And it never happens because, of course, it never happens. Right. Right. And and it's like, you know, like you definitely have to, to watch it. There's moments in there that kind of kind of make it clear but i and and to the original point where it's like you know why people on stage you know they wouldn't bring that to them uh like they wouldn't bring a story of like you know i was gay and i'm not Mm -hmm. they have an idea in their bubble of how life works of like how witness life works how worldly life works that's why their videos are so like corny corny like like this is not how real life works. not at all right um but i've read like some of the like the the outlines where they say look for look for a person between 20 and 30 female uh pioneer uh has example of how she had a situation and overcame it it's very specific of who they're looking for mm-hmm. um they're looking for this niche in this talk this niche and that talk look for a child between eight and ten that is baptized and blah 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 has experience in school of preaching right Mm. they can't do the gay one because that number one they would be admitting to it not being a lifestyle right Mm. um and number two who in their right mind would say I'm not gay anymore they're just saying I'm not practicing it and that would go against their we're not homophobic we hate the act 
not the person. So I feel like that would feed into that, actually. I feel like by saying, like, well, he's saying that he has the desire, and we don't hate him for having the desire. He's an imperfect person, but he doesn't act on it, and that's what makes him a good Joe's witness. But the desire, but saying and admitting that it's a desire is admitting that it comes from within and that it's not a lifestyle. Yeah, that's the part that they can't let go. They can't let go. Um, it's the same way that they look at they look at sex as sexual crime, not as a crime, as a sin. So mm-hmm. if you're start if that's your starting point, then I can't reason with people that don't reason with logic. Like, <laughs> right. you know, right? Like, you know, like how could we have a trial in Wonderland? Like, this <laughs> yeah. is like like um you know everyone's on shrooms here so, yeah like, everything's uh, made up none of it's so, real like, my logic is actually illogical right? <laughs> right so i i can't be logical with someone that's coming from a premise that is illogical yeah right? uh you can't have a fair trial on a banana republic <laughs> right yeah yeah that's true I, I mean, I've talked about that before and it was someone else, I can't remember who now, about the the idea that we, we do understand, we all understand and respect people that like they need something that holds them accountable. Like if you're an addict or like, you know, like your friend, you're in prison and you need something that's going to keep you hopeful and positive and keep you on the right track. I, I understand clinging to a cult or a religion yeah. and I understand staying there even when certain things don't add up because you attribute that, you, you cr- give all the credit to that. And like they almost like don't give themselves credit for the work they that they've put in. Credit. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, that tells me that like he did the work. Yes, he did all that work. But like, and, this may and have that, been a tool of that work. Yeah. but he did the work. And funny you say that because I was when once I realized because after I got the F, you know, you go through some hard times. Yeah, you know? like I had been the F. I had a business at that point that I lost of my own, like, like that was my fault. Um, and I lost, you know, my relationship with, with the girl. So it was like, I was like rock bottom, no career, no, like I was, I was in, I was in the pits. Yeah. And then like two months later, I had a, I had a finger accident Mm -hmm. and I used to be a chef and I used to be a cobbler, a shoe cobbler, I used to pick shoes. So, um, now I can't use my hand. Uh, right so like i'm in the hospital i'm getting surgery on my hand like i can't use it i'm i was like my low of lows and um what got me out of it actually i was driving for uber i started driving for uber at that point Mm -hmm. and i started making good money it was back when uber had good rates and stuff and that was the first time i started making good money so i was like oh man maybe i could get out of this hole i'm in I was living at my parents, at my dad's house. I was, you know, not, I didn't have anything together. I was in debt, you know, and that started getting me out of the hole. So things started getting better after that. And I started then, then I worked for Uber and then, you know, I started gaining a career. I started gaining, I had uh, uh, workmates, uh, coworkers, and then I would go out with them because they were in their twenties and I was, and I was like 30, 31. And they were going out having fun. Then I met their families. And then you start kind of getting this like, you know, it starts breaking down the idea that they built that anyone that's in the world is bad. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's like wait a minute their families are great people they're functional they're functional (laughs) honest people what do you mean like it started you know breaking down those stereotypes and um as i'm going through it my life is getting better away from the religion but i'm still going to meetings and all that stuff and the the one thing that woke me up was a matter of like seeing how the elders treated me while I was out mm-hmm. and it was very inhumane it was very like you know like just very like it went from like loving and stuff so when you're kicked out you're just like you know they check up on you and it's like my parole officers <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I remember writing my letter it was like 10 months out I wrote my letter to come back I wrote like a three-page letter and it was like pouring my heart into it and I was just having a bad time with it like I was having a really bad time with it I remember I went to a convention that year my first convention being this fellowship and I remember seeing the girl that I was dating with another guy oh. and you know we hadn't talked we had talked she had messaged me like while I was the F2 mm-hmm. but then she had messaged me a month before somebody had messaged me not her saying like oh don't contact her again this and that and I was like whoa like she's the one that was contacting me but whatever yeah um and I changed my number because I'm like I don't need that in my life like whatever <laughs> uh, but then I see her with somebody else and you know how it is and like you see someone walking in a convention is like a courtship right mm-hmm. so I that I had never had a panic attack in my life I had a panic attack that day I was oh. like hyperventilating I was like what's wrong with me like my heart is like going nuts like I had a, I, I straight up had a panic attack that day. yeah it's a lot um, yeah and and you know you're being ignored by 16,000 people mm-hmm. right even the people that don't know you, you have a certain energy to you when you're DF you know? I cannot energy. imagine going to a convention or an assembly dysfunction. oh it's, it's, it's horrible you're up there like I was it was in the the BB&T which is like an arena mm-hmm and I was up in like the 300 level, like Quasimodo, like looking down from exactly. the bell tower, like, ah, hello. You know? <laughs> like, um, so, and then I had a rental and I lost my keys. Of so course. I'm, I'm, of course. <laughs> so I'm, always something. I'm stuck in the parking lot and I just start bawling in the car. I just start bawling. I'm like, I'm like, God, you know, like, why are you putting me through this? Like, you, you know, you say that, like, you only put people through like whatever they can endure i can't endure this why are you why are you putting me through this i'm like bawling like this is like my lowest point and i texted my elders i'm like hey like i need to talk i, I gotta i can't take this anymore and i wrote my letter whatever and i get there there's only two elders in the room mm. and you know there has to be three yeah and they say oh um so it's only been like 10 months uh come back in three months we don't think it's enough time because three was, months is going to change everything. It's going to make a difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was, like, so pissed. I was like, are you serious? Like, I just, like, poured my heart out to you. Sh- shouldn't you, like, you know, keep me in the room and ask me if, like, I'm doing safe? okay? Yeah, to are you hear. safe? Right? right. It was just very so inhumane. The next time I wrote a letter, I wrote, like, I wrote, like, four sentences. And I was, like, half drunk. I was so pissed. I was, like... <laughs> I was like, bro, I wrote these guys a fucking novel and like they, they didn't react to it. So I'm like petty, like I wrote a paragraph. Yeah. And uh, so I get to the meeting and they start interrogating me about like what I would do in a hypothetical situation two years from now. 
like, oh, you know, you're a cool guy. So like, you know, you're probably going to get a girlfriend or something. What if she lived alone? Would you go out with her alone? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And they're like, oh, how often are you reading the Bible? I'm like, I wasn't reading the Bible. But I was like, I was like, um, I don't know, like four times a week. And they're like, you should read it seven times a week. Of course you should. It's It's never good enough. (laughs) It's like, that's the difference. It's like, okay, buddy. You could have um, said three times a day, and they would have said you right. need to do it six times a day. It's exactly. never enough. Never enough. And then they're like, "Have you tried informally witnessing?" And I'm like, "Okay, so what do you want me to do? You want me to go to a bus stop and be like, hey, person, I don't know, you want to join this religion that just ruined my life?'" Oh, yeah. Have you heard of Jesus? You, you don't know, seem like, like the person that should be speaking on the organization if right. you're no longer Jehovah's Witness based on their announcement. So it was all these like just like out of touch things where I was like. Are you like, do you hear yourself? Yeah, read the room. And read, yeah, read the room. So that got me pissed. And then they didn't get me back. Then no. they're like, oh, you, you don't know how much you hurt Jehovah. And I'm like, what kind of bullshit is that? I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> right. And that just got me like incensed. I was so pissed off. And that's exactly what I needed. Cause like after that, I started seeing the hypocrisy when I would go to meetings of what they would say in my situation. And I left the convention early because I was watching like the videos and they had like the video about like a modern day um, Job story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why am I watching? This is sad as fuck. Like, like, <laughs> like yeah, he had is, a really rough time. Yeah, this is bringing me down. Why do I want to be here? And I left early. I was just done with it. But I didn't know I was done with it. I was just like, Ugh. and what did it for me was the year before I I went on a I went I went on a road trip with a friend. She was also this fellowship, and she introduced me to podcasts. And that was like 2015. Um, at that point, you know, podcasts were a thing, but they weren't like huge. Yeah. Um, and that just sent me down a rabbit hole. So she introduced me to Radio Lab, and then once I heard Radio Lab, I started hearing other podcasts. And you know, you just go down this rabbit hole. Right. I ended up listening to Reveal. Um. Uh. You know, it's like on NPR, Center for Investigative Reporting. They they do great stories and they do in-depth stories. And it's December 2016. I was just talking to my friends about this before. And I always listen to it before I, like, while I'm in bed. To, like, kind of lull me to sleep. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the next episode comes on. It's Secrets of the Watchtower. Ooh. And I felt, you know, that fear you get. Oh, when how did you, I get down you, this path? You yeah. run into apostate material. Yeah. That's a fear I got initially. Like, oh, boy, should I listen to this? Like, <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, like, wait a minute. Like, I'm in my bed. Nobody's here. No one's here. But I'm still defending that religion. But they've, they've ruined, they've ruined that part of my life. Right. But I'm still defending them here. Mm-hmm. No, this isn't apostate. This is NPR. Like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Let's go. (laughs) FPR is not, you know, right? And I listened to it. It was an hour. And that was the hour. That was the final nail in the coffin. I was like, okay, I'm never going back. I'm never stepping foot in a kingdom hall unless it's like a funeral. Yeah. And that's it. I'm done. I'm done with this religion. And that was before going into the dogma, into all of that. It was like, once, you know, you find out about child abuse cover-up and then you're just mm-hmm. like any other religion and in that podcast there was a they found Stephen Morris and they went up to him there because they've been asking for interviews and, and for the governing body and nobody came and they're like 
and then they they were talking in that episode to like an ex Bethelite, and they were in New York, and they go, look, he's right there. And it's like Stephen Morris, yeah, he's right there across the street. So you hear in the recording, they run across the street, they go to Stephen Morris, and they're like, hey, you know, we want to uh, ask you some questions about the alleged um, the the alleged cases of child abuse that haven't been reported to the police, blah blah blah, and he before getting rushed into a room he says oh we talked about it in our last broadcast and he leaves huh. and I'm listening to that and I'm like this is the leader this is one of the leaders of this religion you have an opportunity to defend yeah the, the religion against pedophiles it's yeah. like it's, it's like a huge like, accusation you know, it's like the same thing when they ask Trump like do you abhor uh, do, you, do you abhor white supremacy? You know, and he's like, well, you know, uh, this is that. This There's that, good people whatever. on both sides. Good people on both sides. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, motherfucker. Like, it's a simple yes or no question, and this is your time to fucking denounce them. Right. And it's like pedophile, pedophile, right? <laughs> like, it's such a, it's such a like softball. Like, like, how do you get that wrong? And right. instead, you deflect and you run away. Like talk to my lawyers or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. go to the broadcast. Coward. And I felt like, dude, these motherfuckers asked me how like if I orgasm <laughs> from like being touched by a girl, you right. know, for six hours. And I'm supposed to give them all this detail. And this guy can't defend the religion against pedophiles. Get the fuck out of here. They're just like anything else. Yeah. And and also keep in mind, this is a guy that you you know has access to PR reps yes. or PR. Like, so it's like he's already being coached. You're not going to convince me that. And yet he still was not prepared to answer that question. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they're just like anyone. They're just like anything else. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with these people. Yeah. And I knew at that point, you know, because yeah, you, you get kicked out. You lose every everything they knew and you lose all your friends and all this. But for me, it's it's just like, why would I have those people in my life if they are all willing to also ignore this? Yeah. And um, and even my family. Yeah. Like even I knew I I knew my my relationship with my older sister, potentially my younger sister too. Um, well, luckily she left a couple of years back, so she she's out too. Um, but I knew I was going to lose that relationship. It wasn't going to be the same. Right. Um, and, you know, I have two nephews and I haven't seen them in like four years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the price you pay. Like, yeah. well, that's the price they pay. That's the thing. Because yeah. they make it like you're paying the price. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm, if anything, if you look at the large scheme of things, how am, I, from this. Yeah. How, how am I the wrong one for like not wanting to be in an organization that covers up pedophiles? Like, right. how am I the wrong one? So, nah, I'm, I prefer to be alone being right than not alone being wrong. Yeah. yeah. And to your point of, like, how, you know, Stephen couldn't answer a simple question, I think sometimes, like, you know, thankfully I've been out for quite some time. I haven't had this come up. But I imagine with everything that is slowly trickling, coming out about what they've been hiding, being a Jehovah's Witness would have to be really hard right now because the same way someone could come up to you and say, 
how are you in this religion when everything they're doing to children and they're hiding it and they're enabling these offenders? I would hate for like my coworker to ask me that question if I was a Jehovah's Witness right now because I wouldn't have yeah. an answer. I, well, that's, you know, those are one-offs. Everybody has bad apples. Like, I don't bad know what apples. excuse yeah. they're giving. I would hate to be that person. I don't want to ever have to excuse yeah, that. Yeah, that's gotta be, that's a rough, that's a rough spot to be in where like you're, you're essentially, you're defending pedophiles too. Yeah. You know? You've taken um, on this responsibility to excuse some other guys, some loser's behavior. Like, I don't want to have any part of that. Yeah, and it's always, and I know the answers they're going to give. I've I've had this mm-hmm. come up just a couple of times. Like, here's the greatest thing about being BS: nobody messages you. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, here. I can't say that now. Yeah. Well, here's the greatest thing: greatest thing about being BS and being seen as an apostate. <laughs> nobody <laughs> messages you. Because I had a few people that were like, because I, I had deleted my Facebook, then like added it again or something. And then people still followed me after that. And then I started posting, you know, uh, I started posting a couple things. Um, and I would post more frequently about like things that would come out in the news and things like that. Um, and then one day I was like, hmm, I wonder if these people are still following me. And then I looked at my friends like, nope. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. And so I'm sure word got around where it's like, oh, he's, I remember like this one girl messaged me like a screenshot of like, and I was following like the truth about the truth uh, documentary. Mm -hmm. And I just had it as a follow. And she sent me a screenshot of that. And she says, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're letting me know how you really feel. And I was like, kind of like guilting me. Mm, like, nice try. You know, and I was like, "Yeah, it's my story, so that's how I feel about it." Yeah. I hope you're doing well. Right? <laughs> how are like, you, by the way? <laughs> yeah, how are you, by the way? It's like you're not gonna shame me into this, like, <laughs> right. like, like, oh, like, oh my God, look what he's doing to make me feel like this. Like, like, take yeah. these two and stick them wherever you want. Like, I, you know, you're, like, like, oh, good for you. Like, get off your high horse. You know? Yeah. Um, and also, I think a true Jehovah's Witness would just unfollow you. Yeah. And just be done with it. They would never reach out to you. Like, it's almost like, okay, you're trying to rile me up. If one, it's not going to work. But two, it's like, shame on you, like, for even reaching yeah. out to me. Just take it somewhere else. Yeah. Just go. Now, now, I did fall into the place when I found these things out where I was like, man, I got to reach out to certain people. Like, I got to tell them what's up. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's just not the way to go. Like, I realized no. that. Like, uh, I remember this the one dude that, you know, he was like a good friend of mine. And, you know, we started talking and, and I've, I had, when I was in, we had like very personal conversations where I knew he had questions. Um, so I remember like we got to a point where I was like, listen, man, like, I don't normally say this, but I'll tell you because I trust you and you're not going to think I'm an apostate or anything. But, you know, I found out about the child abuse stuff and blah, 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 blah. And his reply was just like, well, you know, it's a fucked up world out there. And it's like, that's your reply. Yeah, but it's not supposed to be a fucked up world in here. That's right. the whole message. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just kind of showed me that like that kind of messaging, they're all instructed, whether consciously or subconsciously, to weed that out and to know that like, and to kind of like have like a warning, almost like white blood cells, like where's the virus? Yeah. And that kind of information is like, eh, eh, eh. So, <laughs> so they, it's been built into them to like see that as, you know, it's like if all of a sudden, you know, somebody warns you, hey, you're not going to know 
what it is. But if somebody ever tells you green light, red light, they're an alien, right? Mm-hmm. Now, somebody says it randomly, and then you're going to be like, oh, shit, this guy's an alien. Yeah. And it's like, it's already been built into you, right? right. Because somebody warned you about it. Right. So like they preemptively warn you. It's the same thing. Like if anytime you say this question 1914 and you know 606 versus 587, right? There's like, oh apostate. Because we've been told <laughs> that you're an apostate. Right. Whoever says that is an apostate. So it's like you can't say that. But I had this other dude that was a friend of mine. He's like, oh, like I had reached out to him about like a friend like when the Houston floods happened. I'm like, hey, do you know if he's okay? And it's like, yeah. And uh, then he tells me, hey, let me ask you a question. Like, when did you start uh, resenting God for, you know, it was like a loaded what? question. It was, it was like a, it was definitely a leading question. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, when did you start resenting God uh, and, and blaming him uh, for whatever, you know, like basically saying like, you're not in the truth right now. Bec- you're not in the religion right now because you're blaming God for something. And I knew where he was going with it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, listen, we can have this conversation, but I'm just warning you right now. Everything I'm gonna say, you're not gonna like. Yeah. So, do you want to have this conversation or not? And he's like, "Yeah." Think, and I'm like, "I don't think you do." Like, all right, <laughs> let's go. And I, I went in. I went in. And he had all the answers, all the typical answers, like the deflection answers that yeah, they have that we all were taught. That yeah. we all were taught, and it's like it was just in circles. After a while, just like, okay, man, you know. Cool. He hasn't messaged me since, you know. Good. So nobody messages me. It's actually pretty relieving, honestly. Um, nobody like you know looks at my stories like on IG or anything like that because you know they, you'll probably have people. I'm guessing some people have looked at my my IG is public, so it's like if they want to look at right, it, for it, you know. Um, I have nothing to hide, you know. But um, you know, it's it's. There, there was a sadness associated to it for a while, but then it's like you realize who's really your friend and who's not. Like mm-hmm. I had, like my dad died four years ago, and um, nobody reached out to me. Oh yeah, nobody. Yeah, my nobody dad died last year, and it was the same. Other oh. than going to the the calling hours, which fortunately, well, funeral, I guess I should say, um, fortunately was not at the Kingdom Hall. Same. Other than outside of that, no, no one. And I thought, you son yeah. of a bitch. Because if the yeah. shoe was on the other foot, I would. Correct. Yeah, 100%. And I was like, at that point, I wasn't disappointed. I was just like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, no humanity. Wow. I think at this point, it's more of, I don't expect anything. Like, I've definitely, over these years, adjusted my expectations to negative not even zero negative you but, adjust your expectations correct. Yeah, yeah but i think at this point anytime someone lives up to that super low expectation i'm like Ugh. Yeah. you know so it's not like a sadness it's just like a wow shame on you guys yeah it is it's kind of like a like seriously yeah like because you know your character you know i mean i wouldn't do yeah. that to them all with yeah. all the shit that's happened in this time frame i wouldn't yeah. do that to them because I remember, like, I went to, like, my brother-in-law, his dad died. And, you know, I knew him, obviously. Like, I knew him my whole life, you know. Or, like, mm-hmm. uh, since since uh, my sister married, you know, her husband. Like, I knew him. Yeah. Uh, so, he's extended family. So, he died, like, six months before my dad. And I went to the funeral. And I was really, and it was at a kingdom hall. And I was really, 
like I don't get anxiety over anything. I was I had I was super anxious. I was like, yeah, I don't want I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. It would have been the first time I got to a meeting since I decided like never to go back. Same, yeah. And I had a beard and whatever, and and then I was like, you know, what? like these this religion is not gonna steal my humanity. And I went, I went, and it was like, you know, nobody talked to me. Maybe like a handful of people said hi to me, um, but even my sister was like, because my younger sister was like, oh, let's put in money for the flowers. So I put in money, and my sister was like, oh, thank you for putting in money for the flowers. I'm like, of course. Of course. Like, why, why is yeah. that a surprise? Like, that shouldn't be a surprise. It's yeah. Like, that's the least I can do, right? So. I'm there. I didn't sit with the family. Um, I don't even think that there was a chair for me, anyways. Um, but what really pissed me off is that uh, his daughter, which is, which is, I guess my, I guess would be my sister-in-law, I guess, in some ways, or you know, my sister's sister-in-law. She was the F, is the F, and she wasn't invited to sit in the front either. So, like, when the service was done, she left crying. And I was like, of course she left crying. Yeah. Like it's like, what the fuck, right? Yeah. And I remember being in there, and I was just pissed. I was just angry because it was like they changed the they changed the way they do the talk. So now they show this stupid video at the end. Mm. And so that they did in the last, I don't know, one of like they did like the three conventions. I think it was like I don't know, let's say 17, 18, and 19. And they did all these videos during it, but they all had the same kind of characters, and they they all kind of built to something. Mm. Then they had the bunker videos in 2019 or whatever it was. And at the end of it, they have a video of Paradise. Oh no, at that point, so it was 16, 17, 18, I guess, one of something like that. And at the end of it, they have this video in Paradise where they're all in a beach, and all the people, all the characters that had died throughout those videos, mm -hmm. all come back. Mm. And it has this really emotional, inspiring music. Of course. Right? So it's all to pull at the heartstrings, right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the service, at towards the end, they say, oh, um, so there's a there's a video that we all want you, that the family wanted everyone here to watch. And then they show that stupid fucking video. <laughs> and it's like, and it's such... It's such manipulation. <laughs> it's like insidious manipulation. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. I was like, <laughs> I was just holding on to like all of me, where I was like, I can't believe this is happening. That they would take advantage. I mean, I can't believe it. Yeah. But again, it's to very your point, on where brand. It's like, yeah. You have lived up to my low expectations. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like you. These people are mourning their friend, their family, whatever. Right. And you're showing the stupid video. It's not the time. Like, it's not the time. And and it shows you it's like propaganda at its worst mm -hmm. during during a funeral, and it just like really angered me. And that was the that was the last time I think I've been to. Um, was that the last time I went to a? Um, that I was at a. It may have been the last time I was at a. Um, at a Kingdom Hall. Was there another time? Was there another funeral? So my dad no, because my dad wasn't a witness. 
Um, yes, I think that was the last time I was at a kingdom mall. That was 2018. Yeah, I I was of course willing um, to go for if my dad's was held there. Um, but I've not been since that last meeting I walked out of with the judicial. I think I expected the same sort of. I didn't know anything about this these movies that you're talking about that you know because I left in 2013. But oh, um, yeah. I did expect that. It, fortunately, my dad's funeral was not like that. A bro- um, his best friend, a brother, did the talk or whatever you want to call it. And of course, right. they bring up the faith because you know obviously that's such a big part of all Joe's Witnesses' lives. And so, and every religion really does that. Like, oh, she was a Catholic her whole life, you know. So yeah, they, they all do that. They all do that. So that was to be expected. Um, but I really expected what you're saying. I expected it to be a preaching opportunity rather than like speaking about the person that's passed but he did a really good job and maybe that's because he was not some random elder picked which sometimes happens because he was actually his friend um maybe that's why it was done differently i also lucked out that this happened you know april of 2021 yeah last year so um i I don't even know if I had that date right. Either way, irrelevant. I think because it happened after COVID is my point that right. all these things were on Zoom. So I left the funeral pretty much after like things were kind of like, okay, the talk thing is about to start happening. I was like, yeah, see ya. And I was driving to my friend's house and I just put my phone up on my dash, put the like logged into the Zoom and just listened on the drive. Cause I thought as soon as it gets preachy, I'll just hang up. Yeah, and I can be done with it, and it never—it was good, start to finish. I'm, and nice. so that was the probably the one time I can say that the the bar was low, and they actually were it impressed me for once. But well, that's they, not gonna happen they, again. <laughs> they changed the outline a bit, so I think on the outline they do more personal talks. Good. Um, but they end with that. Mm, that's get me out of here. Yeah, yeah, which is like. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good trade-off. <laughs> no, I don't. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to see yeah. it. I mean, it's good if you're in the option where you can just hang up. That's a plus. It's funny you were mentioning earlier. Forget what jogged my memory about this. Um, oh, you were talking about the podcast and the podcast come on and you had that like your heart racing of like, oh my god, this pasty material. Three years ago, I went to um, New Orleans for my birthday and. Uh, it's hello it's New Orleans so you know what's gonna happen there and right in the lo- I was staying in a hostel and in the lobby of the hostel was this lady doing tarot card readings and she said hey do you want me to read your cards for you it's you know five dollars for five cards or whatever it was and I had only for some reason I only had five dollars on me and I thought so this is either one of two things this is a test right <laughs> or this is a sign you know and so then at this point i had just turned 29 and i or it was for my 29th birthday actually that i was there for and so at that point i'd been out for years and i still thought here i am you know seven years later and i still was questioning like is jehovah testing me yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should I walk away? Should I say no, 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 and just walk away? And I and I was so angered by myself, by that subconscious, like you're saying, that subconscious thought that I then at that point was like, I'm making myself do it. I don't even care if I don't believe in it, you know, because right. I, I do to a certain thing. I'm like, well, maybe it's real, maybe it's not. I don't know. But I just thought, even if the whole thing is bullshit, so was the cult. And I stayed in that shit for 22 years. So right. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to let her do her 
weird magic voodoo thing because nothing about any of this is real. Nothing was real about Joe's Witnesses. Nothing was real about this. There's nothing bad about it. Right. So I did it. And I, after that point, I was like, all right, well, fuck it. <laughs> but I was so mad that seven years later, my brain was still thinking exactly yeah, what you're talking it's, about. It's horrible. It's horrible. Like, and I, luckily, I don't catch myself with that anymore. I think I've like pushed it out of me. I think uh, so. I had a friend though. I had friends over on Sunday to watch the World Cup final, and my friend brought um, um, my friend brought his girlfriend, and I don't think she's that religious, anyways. But she was like looking at, and I have like my Christmas tree up, and I have like a pentagram on like the top of the tree, and I have like a a, a ram skull on top of my TV, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. I don't believe in any of it. Like I, I'm agnostic. Like I don't. Right. I'm not like atheist, but like you know, like I don't believe in any of it. But I like the imagery and like I like right. almost like like almost to a troll level, right? <laughs> and, she, and she's like, "Are you satanic?" And I'm like, "I don't believe in Satan, but like, sure, but like I'm not like right. you know, I don't believe in any of that." But it's funny, like there's a there's a documentary on Hulu that's uh, called "Hail Satan?" Question mark. Okay. And it follows the. Um, I think it's this it's the satanic church or or I forgot what it's called um, but they have a um, a mantra or they have a um, a what's it called like their ethics or whatever mm-hmm. and when you read the ethics or like what they stand for mm-hmm. it's like God, man, like I wouldn't I wouldn't join a religion but I might join this one. Yeah. Like one of like, my closest friends is a state, I don't say Tannis or whatever. And she always talks about that. She's like, I think it's actually religion you'd like. I was like, I'm never joining go. another religion ever. It's like it's valid stuff. It's super valid. What is it? Number one, once you strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Number three. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Number four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon freedoms of another's to forego one's own. Like those are all like those are valid. The whole list is valid. valid, (laughs) Yes. So it's like you know, like was just saying like the the representation of something that's misunderstood, like. Uh, what is it there's memes out there that says you know like Satan was you should thank Satan because he was the first one to question nice oh I like that I've never seen that's funny so it's like those kind of things like would scare me in scary movies and like you know demonic things or whatever yeah like I still get scared with like scary movies but I just don't like jump scares but like I almost forced myself like I saw Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen Hereditary it's on my list having a, that's the story of my life they're all on my list of things to do and i just oh. haven't got around to doing it listen i was scared as fuck right <laughs> it looks really good yeah and there's like at the end of the movie is like the part where it's like okay this is what i've been holding on to and like <laughs> it, they, it goes straight up demonic and straight up all that but i'm like i'm gonna sit through this because yeah. one it's not real and number two i have to like i gotta break mm-hmm. that i gotta break that Mm-hmm. Um, Did you feel I, that way when you got tattoos? No, tattoos was different. Tattoos really? was like so. I got my first tattoo in 2016, 
And it was funny because my mom, my mom would, was very nocturnal. So like sometimes I would get home at one or two in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. And she was up. And one time I caught her watching Miami Inc. Mm-hmm. Which is like that reality show about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the tattoo shop in Miami Beach. And I was like, Miami Inc., why are you watching that? And she says to me, she's like, if I weren't Joe's witness, I would have your three faces tattooed mm-hmm. on my chest. And I was like, holy shit, like, you know, my mom likes tattoos, but mm-hmm. she can't have them because she's right, witness. right. So I felt like when, when she died and I was like, I, I had already kind of had it in my head. If I ever get this fellowship, I'm going to get a tattoo or like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So if, if I would get a tattoo, what would I get? So once I get the F, you know, you're just kind of like, you know what? Like, maybe I'll do it. And I saw a friend of mine had a tattoo and I was like, oh, what artist did yours? And, you know, once you kind of, for me, once I have it in my head, it's going to happen. Yeah. Whether it happens in three years or three months, it's going to happen. Yeah. And that was, when I got it, it wasn't so much of like a, I'm doing this and this is like a moment. It was more like, yeah, I wanted to do it. But what I realized was that getting a tattoo is very, very painful. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it is, it hurts, right? They do, yeah. Especially on certain areas. Like, certain I just areas. got this one last week and all parts of my hand hurt. Like, yeah. all of it. Right? <laughs> um, but I felt like at that point, when you're disfellowshipped, they have the power and they caused you pain and when i got the tattoo i felt like this is a pain i choose Mm -hmm. like it's almost like empowering like i'm taking that power of pain and i'm i'm the one choosing to give myself actual pain and so it was therapeutic in a way um so it felt therapeutic to get it to get tattoos now it's not i just you know once you get one, you know, it's like, yes, a little <laughs> Keep addictive, it going. right. Yeah. But, um, but it's still kind of soothing because like you're able, like, it's almost like meditation for me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at first it was therapeutic. It was like, this is a pain I choose and I'm choosing to put this on me, um, mm. uh, when I got tattoos, but it wasn't like a, a seminal step. There were mm. other steps like. When I shredded my no blood card, that was a big step. Ah, uh, yeah, I threw my. I, it took me a few years. I actually have photos of um, an apartment I was in. I was 26, 27, and uh, I still have all the books behind me in the photo. And I always look at it and think, "Oh my God!" Four years later, and I still hadn't thrown away all those goddamn like literature books. Yeah. That, you know. I threw away my Bible last year. I still have my my the Bible my mom gifted me when I got baptized. I still kept that one just because like eh, I, to me the Bible is kind of like a dictionary. Everybody has one in their house. Right. But all the other like specific Jehovah's Witness literature, like reading from the Scriptures and the Blue Book and all that. Eh, I should have kept the Revelation. I would have I would have kept the Bible story book and the Revelation book, uh, just because um, the imagery is just like my my first birthday cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thirty four. And I just threw like my 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 girlfriend at the time and and my um, my friend were putting it together for me. And I just threw ideas at, at them like if I was like throwing darts and see what caught on. So I was like, <laughs> I want a black cake, and I want six 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 on it, and I want the great harlot on the on the beast. 
Oh, nice. I have that image now in my mind. Yeah. And I got all three of those things. And it was the most delicious cake I've ever eaten. Do you have a it photo was... of this cake? I need to see it. I do. I do. I do. Um... You'll have to DM it to me because that is funny. Yes, the the one I... from the My Book of Bible story, right? Yes. Yes. Let me find some old pictures of me. Oh, as... my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That was... How did so, they find this? But did, did they know? Were they XJWs as well? Or? Yeah, they were. They were. Okay. So they, found, they found the image and uh, uh, they sent the image um, to like a, a cake maker. Mm-hmm. Um, let me do. Okay, so this was this was me in the convention when I was a witness. Yeah, this is going way back. This is probably 2010, 2009, around there. Um, yeah, I'm sure I have more with suits. I don't remember what that photo was even about. Like, they, it was all symbolic, obviously. Like, even the, the woman riding on the beast was um, symbolic, right? Yeah, that's from, yeah, it's because Revelation is, is what, it, what is it, from the Revelation book. And yeah. that's supposed to define all of the, um, I think it's all of the kingdoms, the historical kingdoms that have happened, like, in history or whatever. And then the great harlot, or the kingdoms, the current kingdoms, and then the great harlot is supposed to be false religion. Ah. I think that's how it works. Uh, the witnesses have a convention hall in West Palm Beach, a little north of here. And. Um, oh, they have a whole convention hall? Yeah, they had a. So the, it was this place that they used to call, they used to call it the Leaky Tiki. And <laughs> um, because it was like in West Palm Beach and it was like an outdated place. But it wasn't it wasn't really like uh, taken care of very well. So but we would always have conventions there. And with the conventions, um, I think what they ended up doing, I guess it was up for sale and they finally just bought it. Um, So they yeah, so they ended up buying the place and, you know, they get they get free labor. So, you know, they were able to rebuild that and and build it to a point of um, they use it. It's it's just a convention, like it's a only for witness conventions. Huh. We had an assembly hall, um, but not a convention. And when it was for the conventions, they were held in um, a huge Blue Cross Blue Shield arena. Right. Where they had like concerts and sport, like hockey games and stuff. Yeah, they had that before, and they bought that like in '99 or 2000 or something. We also they also had a um, a circuit convention place and they sold that like 10 years ago to like another religion too um Mm. but that place was like that place was fancy like the walls the walls around it were like uh they had done like in concrete like white concrete or whatever they had done like uh not concrete but like they they had done like sculpture ish of like paradise Okay. It was it was gaudy eighty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it sounds hideous, gaudy but... <laughs> Miami eighties, right? full Miami. Um, but yeah, that's where that picture's from. But yeah, my first birthday, I put I put that in there. Um, I actually used my Bible for the last two, not this past year. This past year, I, w- I did something else for Halloween. But the previous two years, I did a priest, and then I did a satanic priest, and I used I used the the gray Bible as like. You know, mm. I was carrying that around, <laughs> but then I threw it away. I was just like, I was gonna keep it because the, the the pages are really good to roll blunts. 
but then I was like, I never ended up doing it. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll just throw this away. Oh, uh, the irony. That would have been a really yeah. good photo, though. It would have, yeah. <laughs> uh, now it's, you know, some people might find it blasphemous or whatever, but mm. like, I'm just, I'm not religious. Um, and I just, and for me, that like, I don't want to have that around. Yeah. You know, as like reminders. Yeah. I get um, that. So like, I don't, I just see it as a book at this point. It's just a book. Um, I remember I said that to like a friend of my sister's and she's, she's kind of religious, but she's not like really religious. And when she said that she had like this shock and I go, are you surprised? Like, look at my house. Like, no, like, <laughs> is that a shocker? You know? Um, cause I just see it as a book. It's not, you know, uh, but I, you know, it's, everything's a levels too. Cause you kind of go through this period of like, not only do you hate that religion, but you hate all religions. Yeah. And, and you have to like you know gauge it with other people because it's like hey you know they they haven't been through what you've been through so like I'm not gonna push like my disdain of it yeah. to, to them either so I try to have a conversation with it I try to be open with them and and also try to take in not so much take in what they're saying because like I know what they're gonna say but um you know, it's just accepting people for where they are and what they believe and not ridiculing them. Mm-hmm. You know? um, because that's, I am very willing to accept that I may be completely wrong. I doubt it, but I'm willing to accept that, like, if I die and then I end up in the spiritual place or some shit, I'll be like, well, I guess I was wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you have to reconcile. It's like, it's a house of cards because then it's like, is he is he a god that predetermines shit mm-hmm. so it's either it's either you know you were blessed by god or he did certain things to like maneuver things out of the way and then he chose to ignore genocide yeah he chose to ignore the holocaust yeah. he chose to ignore the atom bomb but he's going to help you get this job because <laughs> this job will allow you to preach now and will allow you to downsize and will allow you to keep this uh um this uh what's it called your prayers to god now allow you to not have a raise in the rent and you know the house you sold to live in a smaller apartment to allow you to preach for 70 hours is a thing but you know forget about the protesters in iran that are fighting for women you know whatever (laughs) right so i work for uh, an EMR company, Electronic Medical Records. Okay. Um, uh, we're specific in substance use, mental mm-hmm. health facilities. And there's a lot of um, faith-based um, substance use facilities out there. I can see that, yeah. So our program, we implemented to a facility and every facility has their own way of doing things. So I would work one-on-one with their main system administrator, whoever was designated. So I'm working one-on-one with him but the final thing before they go live with our system and start using it is that I will travel to their facility that were in Louisiana. I would travel there and I would train everyone on site. So <clears throat> I'm there for two or three days and I'm training everybody in a room, whatever. And then like the second or third day, it was like really quiet and nobody had come by and I was just sitting there and I'm like, man, what's going on? Those two buildings. So I go to the next building to see what's up and the guy's there and everybody's in a room and they're like, oh, you know, they had just gotten licensed from the state. 
and that's a big deal it takes yeah. a lot of work to get licensed by the state to be a functioning substance use mental health facility you have to do a lot of things you have to spend a lot of money you have to do a lot of paperwork it it's a whole endeavor so everyone's in a room and there are some bright minds in there there are some accomplished people in there I remember I worked with 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 somebody from there from in another facility. This dude has opened hospitals. This dude has opened, wow. you know, he's a you know he's a big timer. You know, uh, when I was like talking because we went on a flight together, and I'm like, man, this this dude is like legit, mm -hmm. right? And like somebody else had you know knew about this. Like everybody there was accomplished within themselves. So I'm sitting there and I'm I feel like I'm agnostic, maybe. You know, I'm already beyond the, I'm definitely not religious, but you know, my, the God thing is kind of out there. Um, <laughs> and they start a prayer circle. And the guy that I'm working with was like, come on, come on. And I'm like, because I don't want to be like, that's their moment. I'm just there as the provider of like a service. Like I'm not, I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. You know? Did I help? Maybe, right? Like, you know, my, my thing is the system. But I didn't help this whole thing happen. And I'm like, that's your moment. Like, I'll be here. But then he kept on. And I'm like, I'm not going to make a scene. So I'm like, I'm going to have to hold hands with these people and pray. So I'm there, like, holding hands, you know. Uh, everybody starts praying. And they start saying, you know, we want to thank God for this. We want to thank God for giving us, you know, we were able to get licensed. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so if you don't get licensed today, does that mean that God said it's not your time? And that's what yeah. you're going to say? <laughs> and I just remember getting angry for them. Because I was like, take credit. Yeah. You guys did a big thing. Like, take credit. Be like, man, I'm the, don't be like, I'm the fucking shit and I'm the right. best. Right. But be like, hey, look, we all did work. You did this. And I know that you did that. And you were able to come in at this juncture. And then, you know, we all did this together. Like, take, take praise yeah. to yourself. But they were praising God because God was up there thinking, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to give them this license because, you know, <laughs> on a whim, right? Uh, and, and I had that epiphany where I was like, holy shit, I'm an atheist. Like, at that moment, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I'm an atheist. All right. I get it. I get it now. Like, because it was just like, it just angered me. It's like, take credit. You yeah. Know? So, so God doesn't lose in this. Either God was testing you or God was blessing you. Yeah. You know, he never loses. You know, he never loses in this equation. Mm -hmm. Right. And that just made me like, really, I was like, oh, okay. I, yeah. I God. Okay. Because right, the, okay. the opposite of saying this, this is all God, good or bad, right? The opposite of that is it's, it's saying, well, just pray about it and don't ever do actions. Because, it, or not even the opposite, it's the same thing. Because you're saying that just, it had nothing to do with what you did. It had everything to do with God. So that means like we right. don't even need to do anything. We don't need to do right. paperwork. We don't need to go to school. We're we don't need here. to make change. Yeah, just stand here and just let yeah. it happen around us. Like, let imagine. it happen. It's all predestined anyways. So yeah. Well, uh, so that that was that's when I realized I'm like, oh okay, yeah, I, I'm an atheist. All right, <laughs> and it made sense. It made sense to me because I had a an, another friend of mine. She was telling me like, oh, you know, you haven't like, really experienced God, and like I feel bad for you because you haven't experienced like the true love of mm -hmm. God. And I'm like, 
what does that mean? Like, yeah. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, essentially what you're saying, and you don't know that's what you're saying, but what you're saying is you haven't experienced this type of yeah. God love. So I experienced that type of God love and it was wrong, but they were telling me that your type of God love is wrong. But mm-hmm. now you're telling me it's actually right and they were wrong. So yeah. if I go to someone else, they're going to ask me, and I know where that question's coming from because I was taught to inquire that way. Where it's yeah. like, oh man, poor them. They really haven't experienced the truth. Yeah. Right? And everybody thinks that they've got it mastered. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing you kind of go through. Like I'm at this point now where it's like I've come to terms with that. And I know where I am with that and it just feels natural and it feels fine. I always like to bring, I don't bring it up as much as I used to, um, but I but I will discuss about it. And I think certain people might be afraid of that topic. I'm not afraid of it at all. Like, no. Like, like for me, if you're going to get offended, then that's your problem. But <laughs> I am not going to push for you to be offended. I'm going to make sure and gauge it where it's like, okay, can we have this conversation and you not be offended? Yeah. If we could do that, then we'll have it. But like, I'll punt. Before I probably wouldn't, before I wouldn't punt the conversation. Like, yeah, let's go. I want to have this conversation. Now, you know, if like, if it's going to go to an ugly face, like, I prefer not to. Yeah. And it almost always will be because you are talking about something so personal and important. Yeah. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, what is advice you would give to anyone that is still physically in and maybe it's like mentally out or mentally questioning? I would say, and I, I just kind of ran into this with my friend earlier. Uh, we we're talking about the same thing. I would say that there is no price that I wouldn't pay to be myself. Because if you're not yourself, you're being selfish towards any significant other you're with and you're letting something whether it be a religion a you know a family unit a you're letting something control you that really won't affect them it's only going to affect you so like if you are staying in the religion because of your parents because of what your friends might think because of social qualms the only thing that's really going to affect them is that they're going to have a 20-minute conversation about you let's and let's say at the beginning it's going to be an hour's conversation because there's always a lot of like talking in there but eventually that becomes a 30 minute conversation, a 20 minute conversation, a 10 minute conversation, a five minute conversation, or just an example. That's all you are going to be to them. But you are going to be suffering because you're not going to be yourself. And maybe you'll tell yourself you're not suffering, but maybe you start drinking a little more. Maybe you start being a little sad a little more. Maybe you start going through depression. Maybe you're not completely yourself. Maybe you don't get another job that might be better for you because of that. And you're doing it because of other people's opinion of you, not your own. So no matter what the price is, even if it's your parents, even if it's your family, even if it's your spouse, there is no price that I wouldn't pay to be myself. 
if the people around you are around you because you are the person that isn't yourself, then do you really want those people around you, even if it's family? You know, you, sh you shouldn't want people around you that are with you unconditionally. Now, obviously, there's conditions to that. If you're a Nazi, like, get out of here, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, like, don't be a Nazi. Right. And hashtag don't be enough. Right. But, <laughs> aside but, from but yeah, but aside from the extremes, like, you know, a belief system of what you think, if there's a creator or not, or what yeah. creator that is, or what happens after we die, yeah. or what happens after we die, shouldn't make somebody go, I don't need to associate with you. It's not your fault that they are putting you in this position. You are not putting them in this position. Everyone has their own individual decisions to make. The same way that they make the decision to be in the religion and to have to, maybe they don't want to, but they have to shun you or whatever. Um, the same way they can make the decision not to. And everyone is accountable for their decisions. And the one thing that religion does especially the religions we came from, they don't make you accountable for the good or the bad. If you're doing something good, it's because of the religion. Yeah. If you do something bad, it's because you didn't listen to the religion or somebody else took you from the religion. You're never accountable for even your bad decisions. Oh man, you know, they're out of, they're out of the truth, but it was all those TV shows they were watching. Yeah. It was those friends they had. It was that wife he was married to. It, it was, was those, it was those, it was Satan. It was the high school friends he still hung out with. It's never you. So yeah. like, it's never like I decided to leave. Yeah. I think it's, no. I think it's bullshit. Nobody told me, like I didn't read anything. Maybe I did, but like, that's what yeah. reading is. You read something, you go, D -d 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 -d. oh no, D -d 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 -d. oh yes. Like right. you're never accountable. And all of those people are accountable to themselves. And you can excuse them and you can empathize with them, mm -hmm. but it, it still doesn't, and it still doesn't excuse them for making the decision they made. Because in the end, they still chose a religion over you. Yeah. And are those the kind of people you want in your life? Depending on your perspective, I'm either unlucky or lucky <laughs> that my um that both my parents have deceased because mm. i don't have to deal with them getting old i don't have to deal with them uh me having to be their caretaker and in the witness case i don't have to deal with the fact that i was kicked out of the religion but chose not to go back and my mother wasn't one of those things that i had to think about yeah right like it was like okay well you know it's like I'm not holding on. I'm not staying in this religion because of my mom. So I could I could do that caveat and say I didn't have to go through that. So I can't tell somebody that's what they should do. So I understand that. Yeah. But I think in the end of the day, you should always pick to be your true self. You know, ironically enough, they say, "What is your truth?" That's what the religion tells you. Find your truth. Now, what they're really telling you is that find your truth. Ah, but the only answer you should get is uh, is is this one. But <laughs> when you really ask that, that's that's what it should be. What is your truth? 
who are you and if at the end of it if you're pimo even though you're mentally out you're still not out because you're still not putting out freely who you are and that has an erosive consequence if you're not the same way that if you're in a marriage outside of the religion and like you're not yourself like mm-hmm. you know that's the same thing the same way you're in a job like that but in this case we're talking specifically as 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 witnesses like if you're a pimo like i understand that you probably have a certain situation that is very difficult especially people that have kids yeah i get it i totally get it like you you have to bite the bullet you know if if that's your best case but i would say always think about that being yourself there's no price i wouldn't pay to do that um because if you're not happy then everything else around you is going to suffer as well um either they suffer or you suffer and in the other case if you're yourself everyone else might suffer and you might suffer too it's not going to be easy yeah but when it's you come different. out it's just different when you come out of it you're going to be better for it and like i'm also not going to paint rainbows here like it's not going to be pretty if you're in a situation where you're married with kids and like you know i heard of a situation that somebody was married to a ministerial servant or an elder i'm not sure and one of their kids had like cerebral palsy and she she didn't she didn't believe anymore but like her parents were in so if she left that means that she'd be leaving or her husband might leave her and her parents might stop associating with her and now she has to take care of her kid alone that's a difficult situation Oof, very hard i i get it i i would never tell that person do this or do that but i would say your ultimate like compass should be be your true self and everything else will fall into place and you are going to have a support system there are kind people out there there are good people out there you're not going to be alone and i think it's not a fear thing i think it's um it's just a matter of knowing that you can do it and if you, the more people can hear even benign stories or even stories that are like in the milder side or whatever yeah um wherever mine lands you know it's up to like the the ear the beholder but mm-hmm. um you know maybe you something i said or something might you know show a a pimo that's like oh, or a pimi okay you know um it's a, i can do this and i think everyone has it in them to do it it's just a matter of finding it the one thing i could add i guess like the point i'm at now where it's like i am i've been out for let's see i got kicked out august 2014 i got kicked out i had no career i had no friends i had a uh, um i had no uh, girlfriend that none of that still single but whatever that's a different <laughs> story uh but now about my house 2 years ago i have a career became a citizen finally oh, i congrats. voted wow um i voted for the first time this what past, a time um, to vote <laughs> what a time to vote um i got i got my my voter registration card the day roe v wade was overturned and i was like all right this yeah. is like yeah. I- i'm in you know so i was a, you know i had like my get my shit together list when i <laughs> when i uh got kicked out and then i was like and i reached all of it i reached my full list uh get out of debt um 
buy a house, become a citizen, vote. Voting was the last thing. That was like, oh wow, get my passport, you know. And those are things that are just regular for most people. And for me, yeah. I felt like I had to reach that. Um, me and my sister, my younger sister, have a great relationship. She works with me. Like we oh. work in the same company. I was able to like, you know, recommend her uh, to, to, to where I was working. Um, you know, I'm making six figures. I'm, you know, I have like investment accounts. <laughs> like, right. Like, what, what investment account? What kind of shit is that? Like, I have investment accounts. You know, like, like, you know, I, I'm like adulting really hard right now. Right. Uh, I play music, so I play bass for like a few bands down here. Apparently, there's like no bassists down here because I'm in like five bands, <laughs> and that's one thing I've always loved playing music. I always played guitar and I could never do that in the witness world. Right. Because like, if I did, you know, it would have to be a bunch of other witnesses and, you know, you can't really go anywhere with it. Mm -hmm. And once I got out, like I started saying yes to things. And one of the things I said yes to was joining a band. And, you know, I've been in the music scene down here for, for a bit, you know, been able to write music with bands, record, uh, play shows. Wow. Um, so it's you know it's and like i'm joining a like i'm the, i'm always like the older one i'm like 38 and like my <laughs> bandmates are like you know in their 20s and like you know i went to like an ugly sweater uh, uh, <laughs> christmas, uh party. christmas party the, the other day and like i was i felt like a chaperone you know because everyone <laughs> else was in their 20s <laughs> right. you know? um but it was fun like i put up my first christmas tree last year uh i've been doing halloween the, the last few years, you know, my sister threw me a birthday party here and it was like, you know, metal themed and it was like people had VIP badges. Oh, that's cool. We had a, a karaoke stage, you know, was, you know, it's kind of joining what people do yeah. kind of thing. And normal like, people, normal people <laughs> and not being worried about, you know, something in the conversation that was benign ending, ending up going into like the little room. Yeah, you know? ruining someone's uh, life. Ruining someone's life just because you know you said a, that's what she said joke or something. <laughs> right. You know, a true story. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's like, you know, life is pretty good right now, and uh, you know there was some dark times. You know, when you get kicked out, you're shunned. You're you're questioning yourself. What do I stand for? What do I believe in? What's my moral compass? Like yeah. my relationship with women. Like. Uh, my relationship with sex like what are all these things they, you're going to be questioning a lot of those things but you're you're not going to see it now but once you get to that end of that journey when you look back you're going to be happy you went through that journey because like it, it made you grow it made you like reconcile a lot of things uh, it made you like you know take your experience and maybe you know pay it forward to someone else that's coming out and like now your experience can help them and Here eventually it'll just be a memory eventually you'll go from being a witness to being an ex-witness because ex-witness is also an identity yeah but at some point you're just going to be who you are um and and be patient with yourself because everyone goes through their steps the way they go through i think maybe like a younger person gen z or something might go through it faster because uh, Gen Z is a little more compassionate. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of information out there that you could go to. They're taking care of their mental health in ways that we, their, exactly. <laughs> we were not. <laughs> yeah. 
So their process might be a lot faster than mine was, and and compared to the people before me and things like that. Yeah. But life is life is pretty damn good right now. Thank you.